0: Shit, it's already giving me that stupid-ass delay. It is what it is. What's good, family? Teacher Maria says she going on a date. Okay. Karis Naflin, what's good? The Grand Negus said peace to the gods and earths. We make this shit work motherfucking right Michael Dixon was popping Shaheen Universal Shabazz Allah. hold up what did you say he said peace God looking like I'm a legend out here Lord ha 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 Brooklyn in the building A1 Drizzy what's good it's Wednesday y'all June 7th you know that makes today today's of God we love the God day Hopefully my video will catch up with my audio. Like it usually does. But anyway. What's good, family? Welcome back to the godcast. Um. Got another another great interview coming up for you. Um all my people on the east coast. What the fuck is going on out here? Look like Armageddon outside. It, it, am I right or left? The fucking sky look yellow. As my man Dante said it looks sepia tone outside. Um Yeah. From Nova Scotia? Are we sure about this? I know it smelled like smoke. It looked like smoke. I'm just saying, God damn, smoke traveled that far? Come on, man. Something's fishy out this motherfucker. Who's experiencing this uh, crazy-ass smoke? Y'all talk about it in the chat. Um, before we get started... Oh, man, I got a horrible fucking call yesterday, man. Um, It is with great sadness. And um, yeah, it's just with great sadness and a heavy heart that, uh, where is it at? Yeah, I have to announce the passing of my man. 1159 <sighs> Yo, anybody that knows 1159 is a is a is an artist that, you know, came across my my radar from Chicago and man, this dude was just super dope, just super talented. Um, he's a, he's, he's a God cast alum. You'd often see him in the chat. Um, but yeah, I, I did two singles with him. The first single I did with him was called, um, Bay of Pigs. Y'all can check that out on all streaming services. Then the next joint I did with him was called 94 Crime Bill. And man, like like, this dude was supposed to be part of the team. You know what I mean? We got a team we putting together right now, real God squad shit. And it's like he was one of the members of the team, man. And I got a call yesterday, man, from his from his queen, man, like. <sighs> Telling me they found him and all of this crazy shit, man. Like, ooh, it's a tough one, man. Even though I never met him physically in person. Yo, that shit hurt, man. Like, that shit definitely hurt. Because I know his spirit. He's just a good brother. And he was just starting to get his little, you know. He's in his 40s and all of that. But as you can see, you know, the brother will overweight. To Wanna to understand him, you know, he may have had diabetes and all of this type of shit. I don't really know the cause of death at the moment. But um, you know, it wasn't murder in the traditional sense, although we get murdered all the time with our diets. Um So yeah, man. <sighs> It's a real shame, man. Cause I'm telling you, he's about to pop, man. I was ready to do a whole album for this for this dude, man, and do whatever I could to bring light to his situation, cause that's what the fuck I do. But rest in peace, man, to my man Eleven Fifty Nine. I'm gonna let y'all know, you know, cause I'm pretty sure, you know. He's going to need like a, a GoFundMe or some shit like that. It's hard out here for brothers, man. He worked a regular job and all that type of shit. Seriously doubt if he had any insurance or anything like that. He wasn't out here touring and none of this type of shit. So when that shit, uh, that information is passed to me, I'm going to bring that, you know what I mean? And let y'all know what time it is. Um, so y'all can support the brother. I know a lot of y'all in the chat, remember. Remember. And know who the fuck 1159. If you know me and you know this channel, then you should know 1159. So, yeah, man. Rest in peace to my brother. Maybe this is him, like, (laughs) casting a fucking cloud on you motherfuckers, letting you know. But anyway... uh, no further ado, I want to bring my next guest up. Um, this guy, man, I guess he's what you would call a legendary famed AR. Um First of all, a lot of, a lot of people have heard this, this term A&R and you're probably like, what the fuck is an a We're going to find that out today because um, it's kind of a uh, elusive term. I know technically it means what? Artists and repertoire? But what the fuck does that mean? Um, <laughs> so we're going to get into that. Um, this happened to be the guy that saw the vision and signed brand Nubian to Electra records back in the days. We'll clap it up for seeing the vision. Now, not that we had the greatest contract, but you know, we did get signed. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So man, he went on to sign many other legends after that, uh, you know, KMD, you know, which included, uh, you know, our brother, who later became MF Doom. Um, He signed leaders of the new school, fucking Pete Rock and C.O. Smooth. He went on to sell records with Everlast. And now he has a book chronicling his experiences in the game. Um, It's called Son of the City. I actually went to the... uh, what do you have a little mixer for the motherfucker or whatever, like a little building session. Yeah. Is what they was calling it. And it was dope. I found out some things that I didn't necessarily know. And yeah, we're going to, we're just going to talk about it. So ladies and gentlemen, I want y'all to welcome to the God cast and let's keep it real. You know, we probably can count on one or two hands. Uh, how many, uh, Caucasian guest we've had on, on our show. <laughs> so he's uh, joining the Hall of Fame in, in that sense as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Dante Ross.
1: What up, man? How
0: are you? Hold oh, up. It's moving slow. There we go.
1: What's going on, Jay? You good? Oh, my condolences, man.
0: Oh, thanks, man. Yo, I, pro- I I might need to even play some shit later on, man and like get your a and r fucking opinion and you ain't gotta you know what i mean i don't think you're just gonna say oh he's dope just because he died and you know i want to hear some good shit about him you're gonna be like yo that motherfucker's dope like you know what i mean like
1: i mean you have good taste i have no doubt he's dope
0: yes i do have good taste
1: i do, <laughs> I do. you have discerning taste
0: i do man um so what's good, Dante? How are you?
1: Good, man. Life is good, man. No complaints. You know, I'm I'm in LA. Um, right. My family's telling me in New York that New York looks fucking crazy, like the zombie apocalypse.
0: It re- really looks like a fucking apocalypse out here right now. Like the sky is just a yellowish. It's cloudy. It smells like smoke. I mean, we started smelling, I started smelling smoke yesterday, but it was clear. And I was like, First, I'm like, is that's a strong ass barbecue or somebody? You know what (laughs) I mean? I thought somebody was burnt, and then I was like, nah, this shit is a little prolonged. I didn't know what it was, but it wasn't overcast. Then today, it looks like literally like the smoke is like burning from up the block or some shit. Like it's crazy
1: out here right now. I I wonder what the cumulative effect of that is on on our health. You know, well they're saying
0: respiratory wise, this can't be good for people with respiratory
1: course Uh, not
0: conditions and illnesses and people that use inhalers and shit like that Um, did you
1: um let me ask you did you um did you get covid did you get it at all
0: no if i did get it i had it for like one day
1: yeah i had it twice i never really got sick but but i i have i think that there's a cumulative effect that, that covid has on you i think the more times you get it i think it's Uh, detrimental to your respiratory and some other parts of your body and we'll never we won't know that for like 50 years
0: right we also won't know if the vaccine that was taken this is true um, is so i lost you for a second you hear me now yeah i got you i said yeah we won't necessarily know if if that that g that jid is uh detrimental to your health and so yeah we're never
1: they're never going to let us know about 20
0: that 20 years you know? later you found out oh shit you know uh that caused some sort of thing to my respiratory system or i
1: mean i, I think we have know we know that it caused some neurological complications for people so i think people with some neurological issues it set some shit off people had strokes and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i mean and they never they never want us to know what's really real right it's all you know
0: exactly so listen let's get to the let's get to the get down man um first like i said earlier explain to people what is an a and r what does an a and r do at a record company well what he did when i did it and what does it stand you, for what is that and so it's it's artisan repertoire it
1: means you sign groups um and you help them make their records um and it can mean various things to different people. Um, nowadays, I think it means analytics and research. Dudes are just reading numbers and going mm. after, you know, everything with numbers. And and I don't think um, discerning taste is necessarily part of it anymore. Um, you know, people don't go out on a limb to sign something because it's great. They sign something because the numbers are great, right? Um, and everyone has the same information. So in the heyday when I signed you guys, it was based on taste, right? Like what you actually liked and, and maybe some form of buzz, but the buzz wasn't quantified by numbers. It was quantified by the culture moving around it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was a different kind of thing. Um, and for me, AR and um, always meant um, trusting my gut and signing things I thought were important. Um, and hopefully that would translate to sales. They, my ears and, and sales were somewhat aligned. Um, but you know, for me, it was all about the music I thought was important and spoke to me. You know, I, I didn't overthink a lot of it. And um, nowadays, because deals are so expensive, there's a lot of overthinking, second-guessing, and it's all based on numbers. So everyone goes after the same thing. So one one guy gets numbers, he meets with every single major label. Um, when I signed you guys or any band I signed, that was really not the case. Very rarely was I involved in a bidding war. Um, really never. And um, now every signing is a bidding war. So it's really changed a lot. I mean, I think a lot of times the guys who do and are these days are guys with relationships? I don't even know if they know music.
0: I like to say that back in the days, it was more of a talent contest. A talent contest where today it's a popularity contest.
1: That's a, that's a good analogy. I don't think you're wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty fitting. I mean, you know, and your talent contest was your demo tape, right? It wasn't right. like you did a live audition, but it was what you had on the tape and. And for me, pretty much every group I signed always came to me from another artist or a group. Very rarely a manager, occasionally, but it was mostly like, you know, like I signed you guys because of Poobah, right? And I signed I signed um, Pete and them because of Eddie F. So it always kind of came from from someone else. It was always, and I signed leaders because I knew about them already from the Bomb Squad. Chuck D had told me about them a few years earlier. So everything kind of came from word of mouth and and someone who knew somebody. It was a totally different thing. And Rap was also, you know, hip-hop was very small back then. It wasn't everybody in the world wasn't trying to be a rapper or be in the business or had their their group they were pushing. It was a much smaller group of people, and I think a much, uh, how can I say, a more progressive group of people. People who were trying to be involved in hip-hop culture and music tended to be way more progressive and forward-thinking. It was a more creative pool of people, if you will.
0: Now, you say that the demo was like, how you displayed your talent. Yep. Um, can you explain to the people, what was it like when Grand Bar came <laughs> to you with two guys that you never heard of and they had no music? Well, you
1: you, you had no music, you had a concept and then he had a when he first came to see me, he had, didn't have a
0: name either. Like
1: yo, he, had a, he had a pause tape first. He was like, we are we gonna rock off this. That was it. That was it. No music, no rhymes, nothing, just a pause tape. I
0: don't even know if I knew about the pause tape.
1: Yeah, he had the pause tape. And and it and it was um literally rigor mortis was on the pause tape, the joint you use for Brand Nubian. And um, and I wanna say ain't going out like that. And your demo, when you had a demo was I think only ain't going out like that. I think that was the only song. And it never made the album and it was hot. But we it never was on the album. Right. And well,
0: that's because at the time Kumo D had the same beat with um it was a James I Brown joint, some right? Shit like that. Yeah. But like Kumo D was the man at the time, and Pooh right. didn't feel like we can compete, even though I felt like our shit was way grimier, way better and like better. Like, yeah, but was shit, like, this shit
1: was like, Modesease was like keyboards. It was like the Teddy yeah, Riley it version. Were.
0: It wasn't and, the way our shit was hitting. But when we came to you, we didn't have I ain't going out like that at first. What no. happened was you was like, we we came to. I, the
1: wanted, to, I wanted to sign I wanted to Max.
0: sign Poobah. You already knew who he was, and he was like, I mean, I'm sure your boys are dope, but uh, I'm gonna need to play something or whatever. You know what I mean? So we was like, I right, cool. So. From that day, for two weeks, every day, we're going up to Jazzy J's studio in the Bronx on Allerton Avenue, trying to get time for free. And so basically, we have to sit through all these sessions and wait till the end. And, And if Jay feels like letting us, then we can go in the studio and do some shit. Like So it took us two weeks. And in between that time, like, Rocky Buchano, the dude that's doing, yeah. like, um, the hip-hop museum, he was, like, one of the owners of the studio at that time. And we felt like he was kind of hating on us. Like, he didn't want us up there because he knew that we wasn't paying for the studio time, and he got a business to run, and he just seemed like an antagonist to the fucking situation. You know what I mean? mean? Yeah.
1: And you guys have been signed. Well, Max had been yeah. signed to Rocky.
0: Yeah, in right. Masters have- of
1: Ceremony. So he was signed to Strong City, right? That was their label. <laughs>
0: Correct, correct. So I don't and think he, he wanted him yeah, up he, there.
1: Nah, Max had moonwalked on it. It all fell apart, right? So. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he, whatever the case may be, I just felt dirty look from him. And-
1: Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I always I always wondered I always, about how that, how that happened because I know Jazzy J is, every, you know, he's Poobah's man and he's a great dude. But I also was like, wait, how are they doing music in Jazzy studio when Max... Is no longer signed there. There got to be some feelings, you know. So I always wondered about how that worked, and I didn't know that Rocky Correct. was yeah. sideline yeah. Side antagonizing you guys.
0: Right. So we had to wait till like two in the morning, shit like that, and so it took two weeks to finally put that together. You know what I mean? Because we had to listen to records, we had to loop the shit up, then we finally had to, you know, do vocals, and so it took two weeks. Was yeah, Max yeah. doing? Did
1: Max do the beats?
0: Uh, yeah, he was like in the forefront of the beats at that time. Like, you know, we right. were always putting our like, mind into the shit, but he definitely was like, that was his idea right there. Like, right. right. This beat and boom, boom, boom. And I, we're going to rhyme on this shit. So, boom. Um, we did it. We brought it back and you was fucking with it.
1: I mean, you guys it. were great. It was like, you know, um, Max probably could have showed up with like anyone. I probably would have given him a record. <laughs> like, I was, I was very, I was fucking with Max and and um so when we made the Daylight record, we listened to Masters of Ceremony, right? We listened to everybody, but we always were like, Mac, he's so dope. The rest of them maybe, but he's so dope. And I think everyone knew how dope Max was. And songs like Sexy were like Max solo records, basically. Mm. So he, he you know, he was already he was already um pretty brand name to us, but we didn't realize is that. Brand name to us meant this very small thing in New York, right? We didn't know that the whole country wasn't tuned in like we were. But I do remember when I, when I was signing you guys or I signed you guys, I saw Jam Master Jay one night. And he's like, what you what are you working? I said, oh, I signed this group with Grand Poobah called Brand New." He's like, yo, Grand Poobah's the illest. Like, and I was like, whoa, Jam Master Jay just told me Grand Poobah's the illest. It's just mm. super weird to me. Um, and, and I don't know if you know why, why, I wanted, why I started fuck with Max in the first place. I wanted him to produce Latifah. And he missed about eight meetings with her. Um uh, but when, he, when he did show up, he started talking about Brand Nubian. And so and that's how
0: it all came to be. Yeah. Cause I wanted him
1: to I wanted him to do a duet with with Latifa. She wanted to do he it.
0: produced light before.
1: And well, it was mostly because he had the song Redder Posse. Um, and and we really liked that. And we wanted to do like a dance hall, um, Queen Latifah Max, you know, Max kind of jump off, and we never got it done.
0: Mm, interesting. That,
1: that was the idea. But um, you know he she, did
0: light back in the day, right? He wrote, of for he, light. yeah.
1: Not only did he write for light, I think Dude. he did her first record. I think he did um I think he did her first joint ever, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I don't know about the first joint ever, but
1: what was I, her first her first song? What was it? Because he did quarter gram Pam.
0: He did um, I am the light, the light, the light.
1: Right. I mean, that was a banger. He also did mm-hmm. Paz K's first joints that were on first priority,
0: Step Up mm. Front. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hey, Max is- I was an ill producer, all of that type of shit back in yeah, the day. He was a
1: great, he was a great producer. I mean, he, he was a very, very talented cat, I man. Still is. I mean, mm-hmm. Max is Max, is Max, right? He's, he's a, he's an enigma, if you will.
0: Right. Um, so yeah, then we didn't have a name. So then he was like, I, right, what's the name? And then we was like, oh, right, and, I fu-
1: and I fucked the name up on one of the records. I put the S on it. Right.
0: Maybe and we was like, no.
1: Nah. Yeah, you know, We're not happy about that.
0: I hate when people say brand Nubians. Yeah, like,
1: and I always, I always correct people because I got corrected a lot because I used to be like brand Nubians.
0: That yeah, I uh yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I'll tell you, working with you guys, I learn a lot. I learn um, as much as I learn about music and about um you know, like the nation of gods and earths. Um, I learned also how to how to move and how to um how to move and be accountable for my bullshit and how to how to um treat people I also learned um a lesson that I already knew but it was reinforced which is um you know respect and trust is earned never given and I had to earn your guys respect and trust and that's a valuable lesson
0: I heard you tell a story at your building session
1: yes this <laughs> it's a good and one you
0: were, and you were telling a story about Wake up! Yep, one hundred percent. Should I tell? Do you want to hear it? Should I tell, tell it? the story, and then I'll tell it from my perspective. Yeah, because so, I always
1: because we never talked about this perspective, and I'll tell it from my
0: perspective. Go so ahead. I
1: did. The, I, me and my partners did the first version of Wake Up, right? So, and and my ego is, you know, I got an ego, so I walked into Chung King, and they were redoing Wake Up. They were doing the song over, and I was fucking tight. And I wasn't tight as an A and R guy so much. I was tight as like. Yo, they're redoing my song. What the fuck? Um, and I literally walk over to the tape machine and I stopped the tape machine and there was arguments and blah, blah, blah. And me and, me and you got in a heated argument. And um, I, I, I think I was about to get punched in my fucking head. <laughs> I, I might've deserved it. I'm going to say I did deserve it um, because um, I don't think I understood that this was your art, not my art. And I'm um, saying like, wait, you can't mess with my art, right? My production. Um, not knowing that you're the artist, right? I, I think in my head, I didn't have the balance right. I didn't really know how things worked, And I also um, was doing the world and the song a, a disservice because the version you guys did was better, right? And I didn't realize this in the moment. And then everything cooled out. I think I left the studio. I can't remember. I know I did whatever I did, I was in my feelings. I was mad. And um and I um reassessed it when I got the record a, a few days later. And I was like, this is better. Like this is actually better. And um your version was the first single. Uh, and that's and I probably have some of the facts along. That's was like 30 years ago, but I do remember a tense moment and I remember that my ego in retrospect almost cock blocked like a classic record, right? And that's a valuable lesson in and itself. gave you a
0: lesson music. as an a to sometimes be like, you know what? The artist might know better. Yes. Sometimes musically. Well, what was the lesson that you felt you learned? I don't even want to put words. I learned anymore.
1: that. Well, I learned I learned a couple things. I learned um, the artist probably has a better vision than you for how they want to be perceived, right? And I also learned that um, it is the artist's art. It's not your fucking art. So if they feel passionate about something, whether you agree or not, you have to support that vision because that's your job as an AR person. And you probably shouldn't sign a group if you're not going to support their passion and their vision. So you can't make suggestions and you have to pick and choose the small battles that that ensue. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But you can't do that until you earn someone's trust and respect. And at that point, it was like we were just getting to know each other, really. We you know we hadn't gone through a lot of shit yet. So, you know, understandably, being a white dude and your A&R guy, whether white or black, um, you know, I was out of pocket and I learned that I was out of pocket. I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's not the way to do it. You know, I seen Muggs do some one time. I was in the studio with him and and um, his man, Kurt Woodley, was there, the A&R guy. And Kurt was like, Kurt, Kurt goes, Kurt, Kurt goes, Kurt um, goes um, like, yo, like, maybe we did, did this or that and this and that. And, and Muggs said, you know, that's a good idea for your record. and I had to be like oh shit I never heard that before so so to me that was basically your version of that like but it was it was a more intense version of that so you know the lesson I learned was like um trust the artist's vision try not to be intrusive um and you must allow an artist to follow their vision whether they're right like you were that time or even if they're wrong because you don't have to live the art they do
0: Mm. So let me, let me tell you it from my perspective, right? (laughs) Yeah, I got to hear this. It's going to be great. (laughs) So, so now you got to understand like pretty much, you know, I was a big influence of why we even rhymed about 5% stuff. Okay. I always
1: perceived you as the most militant member
0: of the group. Exactly. So, I mean, at one point, I didn't even hang with 85s, okay? So Uh, these are black people who are not within the 5% nation. Like, we would be like, oh, you hang with 85s? Like, you know what I mean? So...
1: (laughs) That's fucking wild.
0: So now, I'm already discriminatory against my own people. (laughs) (laughs) You can imagine when... A young white dude, you know, who seems to know about hip hop and all of that, but first of all, I didn't believe in my heart at that time that white people should have any um, involvement in the creation process of hip hop other than Engineering. Or uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. The, engineer, the engineer, that was cool. But I in my mind it was it was almost unfathomable that you were even trying to make beats, right? <laughs> I and love I'm it. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Cause I never even I never even imagined that white dudes was making beats. And 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 besides like maybe Rick Rubin or somebody like that. You know what I mean? Right. I was, I knew he, he was, was yeah, like, he was
1: I mean he was the one guy, right?
0: Right. He was the one guy, but he was like an anomaly or some shit like that. Right. So, 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 I, right, you're making beats. You got your beat crew and all this. they um almost taking advantage of your position as the a and I, th-
1: I think you're right a little bit. I think in retrospect, there was, I think that there was, um, I don't want to say it was like calculated it was
0: self-nepotism
1: right it was it was definitely it was definitely um e- ego driven and um I don't know so the only thing I'll say about that is not the only thing but I'll say that Max um would drive me crazy if he took a beat of mine so it wasn't like he ever felt he had to work with me but but I think um it was a little bit like a layup right it's maybe not Not exactly even playing field. I don't disagree with that.
0: So now finally, the final component, right, is that when we heard the first version of Wake Up, I loved what Poobah was saying on it so much. Me and Sincere loved it so much, but I hated the beat. Wow, I felt like the beat didn't. It didn't. It didn't feel the way the lyrics felt. It just felt too like happy, almost like. You know what I mean? Like I get it. I get it it. because he's he's he's
1: he's breaking down fucking the lessons right. Exactly, he's dropping serious science on that. And
0: I knew this was gonna be a like a fucking anthem type of record. The way he was breaking it down. Yeah, yeah, And I said, over my dead body, <laughs> <gasps> over my dead body, am I going to let these dudes have the anthem, the beat to the anthem of the Nation of Gods and Earth? That doesn't even make sense. And you know what? I well, agree that with That would you. almost take away from our authenticity. They'd be yeah, like, oh, yeah, mean. but you let them fucking do the beat. Right. like,
1: Right. You had a devil do the beat, so I get it. I mean, I, I but can't... now,
0: me and sincere, it was me and sincere that were on like, now nah, we gotta find something better. like we gotta and we went on a fucking beat search. and I believe it was it was sincere that found the Ray Goodman in Brown, oh,
1: wow, really.
0: Sincere found the Ray Goodman in Brown, but I'm the one that realized how well it went because he's we're playing it, and every beat that's coming because I knew the song so well because i loved the lyrics you know what i mean so i'm just like attribute how you got you know i'm saying the shit and then when i'm saying i'm like hang on to this one this shit sound crazy there was no sunshine or nothing like that so did, Max now, put,
1: did Max put sunshine Max in there? And
0: then put the sunshine shit in there later. We had just brought the Ray Goodman and Brown to Right, the right. Day. Uh,
1: Another day, just like, yo, listen to this.
0: Like, I'm telling you, this is better than the other version.
1: Like, you know. <laughs> How did Max feel about it? What, what was Max
0: saying? Once he heard, he was like, yo. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He was like, yo. And that's when niggas just took it. And then the next time I heard it, he's like, yo, check this out. Then the next time I hear it, the shit got the sunshine. Now niggas is falling on the floor type of shit. Like, and I'm like, thank you. I'm like, yo, we did it. We fucking, like I knew it was a fucking classic. Like I knew it. Like I was like, we, mission accomplished.
1: Right. We right, did right. it.
0: And we're gonna fuck around. And if this is a single, then well then this is gonna be the version. And but you still went ahead and made a video version with your fucking beat to it. Really? But yeah, there's one so, out there. But it's you shot fun. it, you shot it too. I know, other, right? and that's and they changed the speed. That's how I was like, This motherfucker Dante. I said he's oh, wait, still I changed
1: it. How did I change the tempo? I don't know how to do that in a the video. Yo,
0: they they, t- they, they must have time stretched it or some shit back That's then. They wild. put it through the 950. I don't know what the fuck, but there's well, a video, video version. But well, your video is the
1: version that went to MTV, correct?
0: Yes, yes, yes. And, and then, I don't know. Your, your shit popped up later. Like, I don't know.
1: Wild.
0: Yeah. I don't even yeah. know how they do
1: that. That's, so, I'm sure I had some. You, it, you didn't I, know about that? No, I'm sure I did <laughs> know about it at the time and here's where selective memory comes in i don't remember it today and i, I probably did do it like think i'm going to get i'm going to sync it to my video right i will i will say that if things are the same tempo i've done that with i've done that it with wasn't the
0: same video. tempo though it wasn't so
1: how the fuck it's did they how if do you they think
0: even about it, the, shit are the lyrics lower.
1: are the lyrics off
0: I don't think so. I don't remember. I got I would have to see. Like see, I see on know.
1: YouTube because I gotta go find it. I,
0: it probably is on YouTube. You just gotta find it and shit. Go that's through, wild. Check it out. Um, I know there
1: was I know we did that with slow down, right? We um or all for one, there's a clean version with the other sample, and then there's the dirty version. Like they you know, they're the same tempo though.
0: So I feel like after that <laughs> So
1: you guys hated me then.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. But I feel like after that you kind of like stepped out the way. Like, you know what I mean? You was like, you know what? Let me just let them kind of like do what they do. Like, and I don't remember like really any like interference in my mind no. after that point.
1: I, I think I, I, w- well, what I piece just, did
0: you do on the album?
1: I just said, Step to the Rear is the only other one I did. Now,
0: see, Step to the Rear is that a was- solo song. And, but hold up! But I love "Step to the Rear." It's that's when it, they told me that that you did "Step to the Rear." I said they did "Step to the Rear," and that's when I was like, "Wow, okay." Like, I guess white boys could do fucking beats. <laughs> so, yeah, clap for that. <laughs> I guess, I guess white boys could do beats. You, you know, I'm, it's funny. Let's, uh, not, my, my, let's not
1: get crazy. So my part. <laughs> so we were doing another beat for Max and. He came to the studio. We had, remember how, how long it took to track a beat out back in the day? Like, you know, you're tracking a beat on a tune. Yeah. It could take three hours, right? Like, goddamn, locking up your fucking, you know, the SP12 and blah, blah, blah. It's fucking take forever. So, um, we had tracked out another beat. It was a, a Wild Magnolia sample, Hand to Wanda, I think, chopped up. Um, it was cool, but it was like fast, kind of. And um, Puba came in and and he was like an hour late and he was like, Yo, he sat there for like 15 minutes. And was like, Yo, I can't fuck with it. I was like, I hate you.
0: We, <laughs> didn't know gonna, we,
1: we didn't know what we're gonna do, right? So, my partner just pulled out the disc for um, step to the rear of the, the sample and he put in the S900. Um, my partner, Gibi, and 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 Poobah loved it. We just put the little kick and snare in it and a little little piano part. Um, that was basically it. It's a very simple song. Um, but what's funny is so. The guy who did that record is actually, he's actually Egyptian. So he, he wasn't technically a white guy. So,
0: ah. so there you go. There, Wait, the Gibi rich- G- 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 was Egyptian.
1: Yeah. He's Egyptian. He's Egyptian and Irish. Ah. Um, he's, he's born in Egypt. So he was, um, and he has an Egyptian last name, Johnny. So he's, he, he's actually part Egyptian and, and very proud of it. He's actually Egyptian, Palestinian to be exact.
0: Right. But he hung out with the white boy crew though.
1: Oh yeah, he grew up with white guys.
0: Yeah, he he he's yeah. not with the.
1: He was hanging out with the white crew. hundred percent. He was he was um, uh, like the OG to us back then. So yeah, um, but he grew up in Spanish Harlem and moved downtown. So he was a little different, you know, just because that. So, so there was <clears throat> part of Original Man's fingers in that song. So well, I
0: I definitely enjoyed and appreciated Step to the Rear, and I was not mad at it. Other than you know, why is he doing this on some solo shit at the time? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean that was uh, the
1: craziest thing about Max, right? In the middle of the record, he just does three solo records. <laughs> like he's like, he's like, oh yeah, this one and this one and this one. And I'm like, what the hell is go-? you know? Look, I had no illusions. I just didn't think it was gonna last because he's he's going left in like very early on, right? Um, it was it was definitely. Um, I could feel that there was there was emerging from the group, kind of two different camps. There's like Poohba and then there's you guys, and it just felt it felt fucking awkward. I gotta be honest, and I was mad too, because the record is so fucking good. I'm like, yo, you you know like how do we what do we do? like you know it's fucking weird.
0: I mean, listen, I chalk it up to. Just growing, it's growing pains, man. See, Poobah is a little bit older than us. We was the young boys, you know what I mean? Yep. And then it's hard sometimes to 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 look at your young boys and then, like, have to now equal out with them. Like, you know what I mean? Right, right. And, and so we're expecting, okay, now I, I know you helped put us on, but we all signed this dotted line equally. We split our shit. So, you know, we're equals now. But in you know, and then you have this alpha male thing going on with of me course. and Cuba. you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Where you know, so it's it's that type of shit going on, and that just happens in nature naturally. Like you know what I mean? Like big brother, little brother, yeah. fucking, and, and you know, at it's, some it's point, very,
1: I think I think it's very hard with two alpha males in any group. Leaders are the same way,
0: right? Charlie Brown and Buster Rhymes. I seen it. I've had them go head up a few times. With both of them, like, you know what I mean? Like for hours and shit like that. Like like with each one. Like they just talking like, you know, about yeah. the group and just all kind of, you know.
1: It it got very personal with those guys.
0: Yeah, it did. But um you know that's just the shit that happens. But see me now, fast forward me and bar is like, that's my brother. You know of what course, I mean? Like, course. because we grew into a certain respect for each other and showed and You got to show and prove and shit. Like, you know what see, I mean? Like,
1: one thing about the the dynamic of brand new being is like, you're o- you were always about your shit. Like, you're like no one can say like you didn't show up for the meeting, right? Like, you always were very involved um, and accountable. So I think that there was points in time when you were functioning completely responsibly and and Puba wasn't. And I think that that, the balance of power became kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like Max is like, he's an egomaniac with low self-esteem, like many of us, myself included. So, you know, he's like, I'm the greatest, but the greatest has to show up. You can't be the greatest if you're not showing up. And I think that was part of, part of the quandary that existed. I always thought that Max should have stayed working in Brand Newbie and done a solo record. I always thought that that should have happened. But in retrospect, your second record is fucking phenomenal. And I don't think you make that record if of was in the group. I think that record's not what it is.
0: Right, Exactly. You know, um, so everything happens. Was, for a that was my that was my vision at the time. Like, 100%. Since, you, since you bring that up real quick, let me ask you. So you signed us because of Pooh and all that right. Type of shit, right? But now, when Poo leaves the group, what makes you believe that me and Sadat can still go on as brand Nubian and make music? Because it seems like. You know, not to take nothing away, but like, like when leaders broke up, it seemed like the only one that got an opportunity was Buster. And how come? Right. You know what I mean? Like, so um, what was what was different about the situation?
1: Well, I saw how you guys conducted yourself making the first record. You guys were focused. Um, that's one. Um, two, um, I felt I owed it to you guys, you know, to give you a shot. Like, you know, um, it, it had fallen apart in an awkward way. I thought you guys were great on the first record. And I thought there was a lot of potential there. I didn't do it because I was like, look, no one does anything in the music business because they think it's like, oh, I owe it to this guy. Like, and it's, but it's going to flop. Like, I didn't right. walk You're into right. it, like that. <laughs> That's it. That's not how it works. So I thought that you guys had a lot of potential. And I've seen how focused you were. And the other thing was, I felt like, how can I say it? I always root for the underdogs. I always have. And I felt like I you felt guys like had, you a, had, lot had to, a lot to a prove. lot to prove. You know, you were yeah, like, you were, "Yo, you know what? Watch this." And and I I saw it in you. I can't explain it other than that. I just felt it, and I was like, "You know what?" And that Think was I'm the
0: gonna... attitude, right? Like, watch 100%. this.
1: <laughs> yeah, you were, you had your chest out, like, "Yo, I don't, you know, I could do this. Fuck this." You and X, and right. I mean, Jesus Christ, "Punch Jump Up" is a fucking classic. I personally always, and this is weird, some people don't agree with me, but I personally like "In God We Trust" more than "Real to Real." To me, it was it was iller. It was just an iller record to me. It was more conceptual it just was a to me a more thorough album thematically and, and it had some incredible songs on I'll lie you akbar I Love Em Leave Him Alone um obviously Punk Jump Up the whole shit Steal Your Ho was my shit. I just thought the shit As was banging. I thought the shit was pop, travel, so, travel jam, all that. It was uh it was one of the albums I listened to the whole album. So and I remember early on when I was we were assembling the album, I had like a rough version of it. And I played it for a couple of friends of mine, and they were like, yo, that shit is banging. Like, they were all like, yo, that shit is crazy. Um, so, and, and you know, I just seen the reaction from people who have nothing to, they're not going to bullshit me, right? So, they're, you know, and you know who was a bit, who used to always make me play the demos for him? Was Pete and CL, particularly CL. He oh. would always, always come to my office, yo, let me hear that brand new me and shit. And he's like, yo, this shit is fucking poobah up. You will always say that. Just so you know, <laughs> them dudes and them dudes had a heated debate about what was better, real to real. Do Do Puba, I mean Do Pete. and I want to say Tracy Waples was all in my office debating the two albums one time. It was ill. It was it was really um, interesting. And look, the fact that that debate existed shows you how great your album was, right? I mean, I, that's one of the things that record right. to me is like. It, I'm very proud of that record because there were people on the sidelines. You know how motherfuckers are; they want to talk shit, shit and talk bong, shit. Bong. And and you guys and addressed you guys it did, even in the song in Punk Shop right. up, up. Right.
0: So I thought <laughs> yeah, I was like genius with with Sadat how he started. I mean that, that
1: record that record is great and and all the controversy that surrounded it. I even I
0: thought, did a wake up on that one though. You, know, you did. Oh, that's right. You did.
1: I forgot. Well, as oh, far you did as a crazy as one. So there's. The other Diamond D the, one was gonna be the version, and then you played the Punks version. The album Gordina.
0: version. You're
1: right, you're right.
0: There it's, was the album version did. of Punks, yeah. which I loved, which was crazy hard. But then we fucking at the video shoot for um Diamond's shit, and then we chilling, and he's like, "Yo, I did a little uh remix, you know, to the to the to the Punks Jump Up. You check it out, like." And he played the shit, and like. He had the shit falling, in my opinion, wrong, but it was dope as fuck. Like he had the sample, it wasn't starting from bing bing boom, boom. Like in his mind, like the one was like, doom, doom, doom. Like, I can't even explain it. And he did it again with the third remix. Remember there's three versions to this yeah. shit. Yeah. But each time I had to fix the one, he was like, listen, Jay, I don't give a fuck. Like everybody hears music different. Wherever you right. hear the one, put it there. Like you know what I mean. So I changed you know, the one.
1: I, I want to ask Diamond if he did that because
0: De had used the
1: sample for Biddies in the BK Lounge, and they used it pretty much the same way.
0: I don't know. All I know is I was hearing the one how it is. Like you know what I mean. And you know what's crazy. I had, I had that.
1: It. I had that Lou Donaldson loop too. And I was like, and I didn't use it when Biddies came out. I was like, oh yeah, they used it. A year later, you use it. And, and I never remember... I said,
0: we need uh, to use this for the video, man.
1: I remember that you guys came to my office and you were like, yo, this is the version. And I, and I remember I was like, that is the version. Like, there was no... no. It wasn't an argument. It was like... Um. I was like, no, 100% right. And, and the Diamond Crazy. version, the other one, the Bronx-style Raw version is dope. But, the, you know, the one with the Lou Donaldson loop, is that's the classic. And that record, like, literally, look, I've, I've been in the club and I've seen people get punched in the face when that record comes on. It's like one of those records. It gets people just, you know, has that energy.
0: Now, I like that you said I've been in the club and um, people punch in the face. Hold that thought real quick. If you're just joining us, we're here with uh, famed a Dante Ross. Um, make sure you click the like button and all that type of good shit. Um, if you're just joining us, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Click that notification bell and click all now my man um my man eprock uh who was around back in the days he's in the chat right now and he said talk about uh kilimanjaro hard to oh the wow
1: man. oh yeah tom tommy's in it tom tom Ep that's your man from
0: yeah 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 um, exactly um yo, that
1: kilimanjaro shit was amazing that shit was amazing. That was
0: amazing. Like so, it's on it's online if you get a chance. I do they have the whole I think the whole I night. Ralph has the whole
1: thing. Yeah, I think the whole thing is online. Um so basically Electra has all these groups I sign, and and um Brand Newbians can I, I say the Pinnacle, right? You guys are it's popping.
0: So it's who was there that night? KMD.
1: AMD, leaders of the new school, Pete rock CL Smooth shazzy perform
0: oh i remember that name shazzy i don't think she
1: was the first group i signed i don't think she performed but i think this other group that i didn't sign performed. tyson and woody um someone else signed them and, and they weren't really popping they they opened they were nice kids from detroit but it didn't pop um they i think opened and caught a bad one mm. and 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 in new york city at that time because you had done that at the new music seminar basically brand newbians would roll with one of the biggest crews I've ever seen in the history of rap music. It was like a hundred deep at all times. <laughs> now, now rule mob.
0: You don't get in. The X makes
1: it exactly. X to the rear. I mean, you know, it Take was, care of them before. I take care of others. Like that was some real shit. The Now Rule Mob was a um, huge mass of dudes. Um and and um luckily um none of them wanted to kill me. So so they were all like pretty they were cool. Oh, I knew was that night. Oh yeah, dudes is always I mean, look, if the now rule mob showed up, um someone might someone's probably getting beat up if they try and get stop them. There's so many people because I don't remember if you remember the Irving Plaza shit when you guys walked into Irving Plaza like a hundred plus deep yes. at the new music yes. seminar and took that shit over. You took, took it, over. it over.
0: Took and it that, over. That was the show. That actually made us infectious. Like we I had agree. so many people in the crowd, and so our tape was already distributed in Nurel. Like everybody had the demo. I guess you know what I mean. Like somebody taped it off of this one, and so everybody knew the words to everything that we was doing. So, like we literally went viral inside Irvin Plaza that night because 100%. because all of our people were singing the words and I literally saw people looking like, yo, how the fuck do they know this? Like, and I don't know it like, and this amount of people know it. So it almost made them feel like, shit, I got to catch up. Like, like I must be missing out on some shit. Like, and so, yeah, that urban Plaza and then the Kilimanjaro's like, but yo, before was, that,
1: at Irving Ur- at Plaza, I was with Ice-T and Ice-T said to me, yo, that, that's going to win. I remember Ice-T was, and he didn't know who you guys were. He just knew who I was, but Ice-T was just there. And you know, Ice is, um, he's a lot of things. He's a fucking smart motherfucker. And he seen the energy and he was like, that right there, you got one. And I was like, I already knew that, but to hear it from him was bugged out.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that Kilimanjaro, man, like before Yeah, that, that- was like
1: part two. Like Kilimanjaro was like, so we have this showcase and basically it's a brand new album release party that the label like is we're going to make it a showcase hard to the left. And I'm like, good luck. It's going to be a brand newbie night. Like, <laughs>
0: like,
1: have fun. Luckily, a lot of um, I guess now mob and people who are in the, in the building were hip to KMD. Um, Dayla was up in there that night. I think Latif is there. Everyone's there, all the native tongues. Um, and it was like just a real um, cultural event. You couldn't fit one more motherfucker in that place. That shit was completely mobbed up. Like, and when you guys got on, because I remember Pete and them got on, and that shit was ill. Because same, same kind of, you know, you're from the same area, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they got a lot of love that night. Leaders too, but when when you guys got on, this shit was like game over. It was, it was close. It, it felt like a riot could ensue at any moment. I was like, this shit could, this shit could go over the top. It's semi.
0: Like, Latest news from New Row was fighting some dudes from Queens and all this type was, of shit. And and like we never been that deep in a in a club in the city before. Like up until that time, New Rochelle had never been. We're the first ones to bring New Rochelle to the city like that. You know what I mean? Like
1: it was I mean, a statement. It was a statement to so
0: yeah, A lot of people it was their first time really going out like that, and they lost their minds, man.
1: I feel no. like that was like, the, you know, you guys were buzzing already and that just solidified everything. Look, when when Brand new Nubian, when the album came out, that shit came out of every fucking car, everywhere I went in New York City. I heard it as far away as London. Before it was out, motherfuckers in London, someone had a tape. They had a tape in Virginia Beach when I was in VA. It was like this tape traveled so fucking far and I don't know how it traveled so far, far. and people would have, people have fucked would have up versions, versions of it. it. So that thing was everywhere. It was everywhere before it even came out.
0: So, so let's, let's, let's move backwards. Now I, I've been, you know, talking a lot about our relationship and stuff, but get into how you even started in this a r shit. Like how did you even break into this music shit? Not so, necessarily being a musician,
1: right? Well, you know, we're musician is such a crazy uh term, right? Right. And actually, and, and I actually played drums as a kid, so okay, I was, I was kind of a musician, maybe. Um, well,
0: you weren't a rapper or a singer, yeah, right? You know,
1: and you got the world's lucky I never tried to be a rapper, <laughs> yeah. like, you we don't, need to
0: style, you don't have that kind of voice where it seems like
1: we don't need um. We don't need another trash white rapper in the, in the U.S. We're, we're good on that. I, um, I grew up uh, downtown. I was friends with the Beastie Boys. Um, we were kids who started going out to nightclubs really young, 13, 14 years old. And we were into music, punk rock. and um,
0: I Hanging guess, out on the high line before it was cool.
1: Doing graffiti, um, writing graffiti and, and skateboarding around and going to shows. We loved this band called the Bad Brains. They were like, you know, black punk rock band. They were our favorite group. We loved The Clash. Um, but punk rock got corny. We were a little late for it. We showed up in 80 or so. Punk rock had been out since 77. We caught the tail end of it. And it turned into something that we didn't, we wasn't fucking with. It was like, the shit is corny. But we always listen to rap music. I think the first song we ever heard was Rapper's Delight in 1979. But we always liked rap music. Um, Jimmy Spicer, Treacherous Three. Um, these records were records we all liked. We were in high school. Blondie came out. Um, Fearless Four, um, Spoonie G, you know, all these records, Rock the Body and, and the Big Beat, and mm-hmm. uh, all these records. We liked all these records. We listened to them, Malcolm McLaren and the Supreme Team, and rap became the new thing, hip hop. We went, to, when I was really young, I went to the party that became the Roxy Wheels of Steel. I was friends with Ramal Z from Graffiti. He told me to go to a place called The Grill. I see him at a graffiti art gallery called The Fun Gallery. So I knew Fat Five, Freddy Future 2000, Ramal Z. I knew them since I was a kid. And I was maybe 16, and he told me and Mike D, you should go to this thing at the grill. I'm I'm rocking it. It's tomorrow. And we went. It was a Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Yeah. And it was the first yeah. time I seen yeah. I'd seen Treacherous Three before. I seen Fearless Four. I seen Jimmy Spicer. I seen him do the bubble bunch. I seen Super Rhymes. I'd seen shit before Grandmaster Flash. But I had never seen because they were playing white clubs. Like they were coming and I used to go to Club Dance Interior. They all played there. So but but it was like I saw them live, but I didn't see the culture, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I went to this this party, and um, Islam was DJing and Jay. Bam was back in the booth. Um, Ramalzi was on the mic. Then I think, I want to say, I don't, I don't think it was Mel, maybe Cowboy. Ramalzi, a couple of dudes were on the mic. Um, and I seen breakdancing in front of me, like real breaking, like crazy legs in them. So in one spot, I see, you know, fucking Jay and Islam and Ramal Z and these dudes rocking the mic while dudes are breaking and cutting in real time, all at one time. Um, And I never seen nothing like it before. So I was, I was sold. I was like, this is the new shit. Mm. We all were, we all were so powerful. It was the most powerful shit we'd ever seen. Um, And this is, I think, I want to say 1981. Um, And from there I became obsessed. I'm a pretty obsessive person, whether it's skateboarding or basketball or whatever it is. I'm very obsessive and um, hip hop just was so cool. Was I was, I was a pretty good skater. Yeah. I was a sponsored yeah. skater. Yeah. I was pretty good. And I was decent at basketball. I never had a great handle, but I could jump. Um, I could, I could play. I, I play with, with X and Mo. They're both better than me. Um, but, but I could play ball. I'm not a, I'm not terrible. I, I played basketball at Bobito in high school and Pete nice and all those guys. We all play ball. Um, a decent athlete. And I'm just obsessive about shit. I was good at graffiti. If I want to get good at something, I get good. I get so much good. At, I immerse myself in the culture. You're like the same way. Like if you immerse yourself, you, you're going to figure it out. So mm-hmm. um, I just was obsessed, man. And graffiti went hand in hand with it. And to me, it was like we were the we were the cool kids. And this is the cool thing to do. And these other dudes got left in the dust. And a couple of years later, they might have caught up, you know, but but I think it took run DMC probably for them to catch up. And, you know, we all know that rap was, um, it got musical. Dudes was dressing real crazy, looking like a broke Rick James. Um, It was kind of weird. In a weird place in like 1982, records were good. But Run DMC comes out and it's like, bong. And they, they, to me, were... That's the lifestyle of rap for me. that's what I identified with because I couldn't dress like Melly Mel or The treacherous three, but I saw Run DMC and I could dress like
0: that. leather pants was not cheap. let me tell you.
1: I never had leather pants, but I had black leaves. I, I, had never, black leaves.
0: I never had no leather pants neither, but I just know like you see them shits in the store and you be like, damn
1: yeah they, and they were fly pants. you know they I had I had that's the blazer, I had the blazer, and I had a you know I had my Kango or whatever it was, and some black leaves with the crease, and the Adidas and or Pumas with fat laces, and shit was just cool. Run DMC were like they were like to me like um they were the coolest thing I'd ever seen. They it might like I don't want to say because like, I never really liked Elvis Presley, but I seen Chuck Berry, he was fucking cool. Like I seen people who were just cool. The Bad Brains were cool. The Clash were cool. Um, Run DMC was cool like that. They were just fucking like, like they were cool the way like Gregory Isaacs was cool. They were just fucking cool, like Bob Marley or some shit. So I was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is, this is the coolest shit I ever seen. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that we were probably three years, two years ahead of the rest of America. Me and my downtown friends, right? And then white America all becomes immersed in hip hop when Raising Hell comes out. But we were, you know, immersed in it early. And the Beasties were a punk rock band, and they. Wanted to make some other shit, so they. Wait, started real quick, down. real quick.
0: So, do you think at the time y'all would have been considered some of the first wiggers?
1: No, I don't <laughs> think we I don't were. I don't think we wiggers? were wiggers.
0: Nah, because you're we not, never tried Adidas w- and w- fat laces and shit like that. You dressing like Run DMC and all of that—that's very hip hop influenced. That doesn't I think, sound. See, to me, Wigger was talking Like, like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, you know I would say like, to me, Wigger has a negative connotation. But, so but I would I know, that.
0: But, but do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I get it. Are y'all some of the first white dudes that really were like inhaling <laughs> that black culture and trying to like I, live it know, kind I'm of?
1: Living in New York, I always knew, you know, I'm from the Lower East Side, and there was always white dudes who basically were hood, like in my neighborhood. Mm. I knew a bunch of people who, and this is before hip hop came out. I'm talking in the seventies, you know, we always, there's always, and my pops is kind of like, and my dad's friends were all jazz musicians. You know, he, he was a political activist and he was friends with Stokely Carmichael in high school and and you know he knew Bobby Seal and all that Now that was so.
0: interesting. I didn't know any of this when you were talking about Yeah, this, my,
1: my pops was a really serious political activist, my mom as well. Like they were friends with the young lords and all this other shit. So I grew up with this kind of respect for um political activism and and all this stuff. It was like in my DNA. So when you say Wigger, to me, Wigger is a cartoon character. Mm. I don't think we were cartoon characters. I think we were people who were really um, in love with the culture, and we didn't act like clowns. We weren't cartoon characters. We were people who um, had utmost respect for the culture, um, and were trying to um, inv- trying to find out more about the culture. Like We were very open-minded to a lot of shit, and I wanted to listen. I didn't think I needed to talk so much back then. I wanted to learn about it. And I learned from people like, like the Jazzy Jays of the world, or the Red Alerts of the world, or the Chuck D's of the world, or or really Jam Master Jay and DMC, who became my friends when I was very young. And I used to play ball with Jay. And they put me up on, um, they put me up on Grandmaster Cass and Cold Crush. I only knew punk rock rap, but they told, you know, they gave me tapes and Jay did, and he played music for me. So Wigger is a weird one. I, I kind of avoid See, that I, word, but I say we're early adapters is how I will put
0: it. Right. Well, not to. I think you're thinking more of what the word evolved to be. You know right. what I mean? But if you think about what it initially meant, it, it, it just meant any white person that fucked with black culture. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, not, like.
1: I, I mean, did you? Was there like a white mic in your neighborhood? Because I just feel like there's a white mic in everyone's neighborhood.
0: Oh, we, I definitely listen. We had this this kid named Beef. Okay, Beef wore mock necks and Swedish <laughs> mitts and fucking played basketball in the projects. Only white dude with purposely like that's all where he played at. Like he's going over the hill to play ball, and he was nice. Like like he was but nobody called him a wigger per se. Right, but right. If somebody, once that term came out, looked at him, that's exactly what they would have called him. I now, get it. And, and Beef could fight. His name was Beef. Yeah, yeah, so you know he's not a punk. <laughs> like, I got other uh, white dudes I knew from New Rochelle, like my man, uh... This white kid, Daz, he break dance and graffiti and all of this. And this is like the round of time that you're probably doing all of this type of shit. Like that type I mean, of happening. You know, it's you know weird
1: to me. Like when, New York. When, I, when I think about um, that time period. So, there, you know, New York had guidos, like real live guidos. Right. And real live guido motherfuckers would. They try to fuck with you because you dress like that. But black dudes are always pretty um especially back then and in the circles we were running in, with like the ramalzi's and freddie's and meeting jay and red and all these people they were always like i never really got a lot of pushback dudes ain't really fucked dudes didn't really bother me like no one no one was ever like i can't say dismissive or it was it was a pretty um open-minded kind of thing going on you know it's this cultural exchange that was was happening and I never really felt any, a, a lot of pushback. It wasn't really a thing. And even in my entire experience in, in the culture, very, very little pushback. And I think a lot of that comes to how you move, how you conduct yourself. If, if you're over the top or you're a clown, you know, motherfuckers going to check you. But I grew up in the Lower East Side and and I always had to mind my, my P's and Q's. We had checks and balances growing up. And if you didn't adhere to checks and balances, you got the shit beat out of you. And I don't really want to get beat up. So I always kind of, you know, I stayed in my pocket. I'm not out of pocket too much.
0: There was a lot of dope being sold on the Lower East Side Whoa. back in the day. Yo, Jay, when <laughs> I when, a lot I, when of I try to sold on on the Lower East Side back of the day. I mean, when I
1: when I try to explain to people how I grew up, because the BC boys are like middle class dudes from the West Village and Uptown, Upper West Side, where I grew up is fucked up. And I was um, my mom's a teacher. I was in an academically advanced program, so they, they sent me to the West Side. Me and me and a bunch of crazy Puerto Rican kids, basically, we all got past this test. So they sent like 20 kids from my neighborhood to the to the nice school, right? The academically accelerated school. Um, and in like a week, dudes were like shaking everyone down. Like my boys just running the whole school. It was a whole different thing. In my neighborhood, I always think that um, other than Harlem, the worst neighbor in Manhattan was the Lower East Side. It was a fucking wild ass neighborhood to grow up in, but, but amazing. And I think it um, prepared me for my future career because when I was a kid, I grew up hearing records at block parties like Bra and uh, and um, Funky Drummer and and um, Joyous by Pleasure and Just Begun and Apache. So I knew these records already. They're they're records that I grew up surrounded by. So when this becomes, you know, a thing and rap becomes a thing, I'm already acclimated to the soundtrack. I already understand it um, because these records are records I loved as a kid. I you know so I, I had a lot of um.
0: How do you become an A and R though? Let like okay. So how's here's how you become an
1: A and R. Become an A and R by going out. How did
0: you come an a right?
1: So I went out six nights a week, right? I went to every As night. Many
0: of us used to do
1: right. I go I go out every <laughs> single night, um, um, in every spot. Latin quarters. I go to Union Square. The world was kind of popping. Red Parrot was popping. Mm-hmm. Um, rooftop i made it up there a few times which is a crazy ass place um thank you yeah you know i I was up there like trying to check it all out and and um at the quarter a lot and i worked at rush Rush. i was a messenger and i was um
0: how'd you get a job at rush
1: bc boys they plugged me in ricky powell goes on the road he's the office messenger i guess that's the
0: initial that's the initial in right there that a lot of people It is. And sometimes it's who you know, like, you know, 100 percent,
1: one million percent. And Russell liked me. He wanted, you know, we hung out with Russell and he was hanging out in all the white trendy clubs. And then he would bring us to like the crazy place, the fever or whatever. Right. I've been to the fever way back and And that's definitely how I got plugged in by those guys. Um, And I knew music because I go out every night and we live in real time. So the way you found about music back then was the mix show. And go into the nightclub. You heard the record in the mix show, nightclub. These are the records. This is how it works. And I always knew what record was popping. And it usually pops in the nightclub and maybe on the mix show before it becomes a hit. So I was the one telling Russell and them, um, yo, BDP, yo, they're, they're taking shots at your boys. Just know that. Mm. And South Bronx, that's that's going to be the joint. Like, watch out. You know, and and I'm like, yeah, Marley, these dudes, Juice Crew, that's they're going for your neck. Like it's going to happen. Right. Because we're on DMC and the BC Boys, L.L. are up here. But then the Golden Age is starting to bubble. And I'm right there. I, I remember the first time I hear Rock um, when I hear Eric being pre- his president in 1987. Mm, I remember hearing too. Ego. I heard Ego Trip. <laughs> I, I want to say at Union Square, 1986. And it is the wildest, craziest record I ever heard in my life. I never heard drums like that before. And, you know, I'm, my ears are open. And I see that. Run DMC is super cool, but there's a whole other wave about to happen. And that wave is more age um, adjacent to me. Right. So I'm a little younger than these dudes. So I'm I'm waving the flag for the new shit. Right. And that's how I get to be an because the flag I'm waving for the new shit, I'm right. And they, they start to see I'm six months ahead of motherfuckers, right? And six months in those times is like dog years today because things move so fast in that one pocket, 86, 87, 88. It's like it goes from Run DMC to De La Soul in two years, right? Um, so I was in the mix and people like me. Daddy-O, I, I was a road manager for Eric B. and Rakim. I won on the road I the Beasties. I, I was like, I tell role you was a
0: road manager for Eric B. and Rakim? Yeah,
1: I was like the fill-in road manager for them, yeah. Um, which was cool. And I, I took them to, I took them at Russell and Leo's behest to LA when they did their deal with universal. And we were going back and forth between WBR Warner brothers and universal. I had to shuttle them back and forth. Um, that's why I'm friends with Rakim to this day. Cause mm. I've known him since then. And he was, um, Rakim is a basketball fanatic like me. We, we watch basketball. Um, so, um, I took them to England one time, all the shit. Anyway. So I, uh, I knew music. Daddy O was my man. He told me that Tommy Boy was trying to give him an AR job, but he wasn't going to take it. But he told them they should talk to me. Um, so Daddy O threw me the the assist. Really? Daddy O threw me the assist. Daddy O was my man, man. Daddy O, Chuck D, it's a couple others, red alert, people who just took a shine to me when I was a youngster. I had a lot of energy. I was always out. Um, and and I think my enthusiasm for the culture made them like me. You know what I mean? I, I remember when I first met Chuck D, I could not believe he wasn't six foot ten. That I was taller than him. It blew my mind. And I had the tape before it came out, like a long time before it came out. I knew all the words. I was asked asking one of questions. So you know, I'm look a an and R guy is really just a music fan, right? Um, and I believe that if you love someone's music, you should probably tell them, don't be a creep about, it. don't be like, you're my favorite group ever, let's, you know, but yo, know, I really dig your shit, right? You're, you're incredible. So I always kind of give people their their props. And I think that helped a lot. And um, Daddy O lined me up for the job. one I interviewed, they played me De La Soul. Um, they played me the demo. They asked, Monica asked me if I knew Prince Paul. I said I did, and she said, um, "Okay, we're going to schedule another interview." She interviewed me right before, right Christmas, before Christmas, and and she gave me a job. She gave me the job, and she they told played me the- you
0: De La Soul" to see what what you were going to say about it, if you liked it or not. Or
1: yeah, I think that was it. They they were trying to sign it already, and what people don't know is that there was a, a baby bidding war between Profile Records and Tommy Boy, and they hadn't done the deal yet. So they played me um, "Plug Tuning." And I thought it was the cre- I thought it was incredible. And it sound- It was basically the demo was the record. And um, I-, I was I already- like I
0: remember the first time I heard No Potholes in My Lawn. That's the first shit I heard.
1: Um, plug tuning bugged me out. I knew the sample. It's Eric Burden and War. My pops had that record, Magic Mountain. And I was like, oh, shit, they used that shit. Um It was super cool to me and it it reminded me and I told Monica, she always remembers this too. I said, yo, it sounds like Slick Rick and Ultramagnetic had a baby. (laughs) And I don't know why. I think because it was so weird. It was like Ultra because they were like having fun and Slick Rick had fun on his records, right? His shit was like witty and funny and playful. So Mm -hmm. it reminded me of Slick Rick a little bit and then she
0: interviewed me right before Christmas. Ultramagnetic quirkiness.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Ultramagnetic, the most slept on group ever in my opinion. Um, Yeah they started all the shit. So she gave me the job right before Christmas. She called me in and told me, um, this is that Tommy boy. Yeah. She was like, Hey, so, you know, like, uh, you got the gig, Merry Christmas. Uh, here's your first group is De La Soul. Um, and I started, um, I think January after the Christmas holiday of that year. Wow. Yeah. And from there, you know, De La was my first thing. I, I had, um, i had the that's pretty funny i had the um relationship with red alert i sent him plug tuning he told me he was gonna play it and i thought that meant he played in a couple weeks or days and he played it that day and i was like oh my god um so i had i was like the good luck charm Latifa falls in my lap i was at the quarters um 45 king came up to me and Knew who I was, which is super weird. And also at the Latin Quarters, like he didn't look like everyone in the Latin Quarters. Latin Quarters is super thugged out. And he didn't, he wasn't thugged out. And I was like playing the back because I think he went to the quarters. You know how crazy that fucking place was. Um, I, huh? was I, I mean, I, I was yeah, blessed. I used to I,
0: be up in that motherfucker.
1: Yeah, I was blessed I didn't have any money. Like I didn't, I didn't have any money to wear anything.
0: I used to so, be everywhere. I mean, that's I mean had places that you wouldn't even think of going, trust me. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, like this. Sure I remember the like, line stopped at a certain point. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm I didn't no go higher than the quarters. I, I right. Or, now, like, unless RT and all that. Right. And exactly.
1: the, fucking, the rooftop
0: and all that type the of rooftop shit. rooftop is
1: as far as I go. I don't go past <laughs> the rooftop. That's And that I the only go when I'm with people. I went to right, rooftop. right. I went to the rooftop three times in my life. And every <laughs> time I went with people. And yeah, it seemed like yeah. why, why future. every every time I was there, Rob Bates seemed to be performing. Why is this?
0: <laughs> yeah, that feels like a little later and shit. You yeah, know? it was we, at the
1: end of the rooftop. It was yeah, the end. I was
0: going in prime rooftop. Doug it e was. Fresh. Um, I saw Roof. Doug
1: there. I saw Doug Rock there. Shit like um, that. Um. Who was the kid who never made a record? Who was rocking out there too? There was someone else. I'm forgetting his name. Um. I went to Zodiac one time. That was super scary. Smelled like angel dust. Um, it was with De La Soul. We did a show there. I've been, it to,
0: or not. To, Andrew, I've been to the original Fever on I Jerome went to, Avenue. I went there.
1: I went to the original Fever. Wednesday. But I went with Russell and a bunch of people, so it was, you know, we were safe. But um, and I knew Sal forever. But yeah, the Fever was was. You
0: know, that was the. the, just the i just going as a kid, just. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I went there.
1: I went there VIP because we went in the car with Russell and everything. It was like you know a thing. Uh, I think Rick might have been with us too. It was, you know, and I never went to um the castle or any of those places up in the Bronx. I that shit was always too. You know, being from downtown, well, I would go to Brooklyn. I went to high school in Brooklyn, but the Bronx is like, it's another thing. Like you know, what I mean, it's like the Bronx was like. Bronx had me shook. I'm not fucking around with the Bronx as a kid. It was like, nah.
0: So, all right, you get the gig, Tommy Boy, boom, bam, boom. You're actually a Tommy Boy when we go over there, but you're like, oh, but I just got a job at Electra. You could come over here or you could. Yeah, go you. Over you- there. well,
1: I, it wasn't even like that. I straight up told uh, Max, like, yo, I'm going to Electra and you'll get a better deal. So come over here. Like, come wait up a minute, put the brakes on. And you know, Max is about his paper and we're talking, you know, so this is the other thing. We didn't know what paper was then, right? Paper was like, I didn't understand paper. Like I didn't get it. Like, mm-hmm. so, and the reason I went to work at Electra is because I was hanging out with Russell and Andre Harrell, rest in peace. And Jimmy Love and a couple other people at Nell's one night. And he was like, yo, you're on fire, kid. Like, and Andre said, what you making? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, what do you, you know, I didn't even understand the question. <laughs> and like, what do you, what do you, what are they paying you? And I was like 30,000 a year. You know, those dudes started laughing at me
0: <laughs> and laughed
1: at me. And, and Russell was like, yo, you're a dumb motherfucker. He's like, come back to Def Jam. I got 45,000 for you. So the Beasties threw this dude at me, Tim Carr. He offered me a job at Capital for like 60. Um, and then um, Raul Roach, because of Gary Harris, rest in peace. Um, tap knocked on my door and, and I met with him and this new Krasno and i, I was gonna take the job. So I remember Monica wanted to sign Pooh. She didn't really know about Brand Nubian. But Monica Lynch told me she knew I'm I'm some moon walking out the door. She says, You know, if he signed grand Poobah, that's unethical because we want to sign him. And I said, Don't no, worry about shit. it. I'm not signing. I'm not signing Grand Poobah. Don't worry about that. I'm signing and I didn't tell her, I'm signing Brand Nubian. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so,
0: so, so it's not technically, it's not unethical. Right,
1: right. Well, and you know what? For that later? A little bit, but you know what? Like, pay me thirty thousand dollars a year is unethical.
0: Right. Ooh.
1: You know, so I love mm. Monica, but she's Tom owns the label, and she's just like me, underpaid. You know. So, right. And and they should have called that that record company. Mo Love Records, because she did everything. She's the brains of all of that, and I, I firmly believe because she's a woman, and it's called Tommy Boy. People don't know that, but she's the battery of that whole shit. Whether it's Coolio or Naughty or La or De La, she's the battery, and she doesn't really get her props um, like she should. Everyone knows Tom Silverman; everyone doesn't know her, and she's she's a real one. Um, she really knows music and culture. So, so fast forward. I'm an lecture It's a very I have an inauspicious debut I'm up there um Shazzy's my first record it's a fucking frisbee um I'm I think I'm on the ropes but this weird shit happens where I remember
0: that name Shazzy and it's just like and I just it did not like, oh, pop that's her label name Shazzy she huh. like- she,
1: had, she had one song they played a little bit jiggo why well, I um I use a skull snap sample very, very early. One of the first uses of it. and and they would literally play, play the instrumental. So you know, you know it's fucked up when they play the instrumental on the mix show, not your record record. You know that feeling? You're like, oh, they played the instrumental, that's fucked up. Well, so, I haven't so, heard
0: that name Shazzy in like it's it's a oh, forgettable name. She yeah. was the
1: first Charlie Brown. That's the first artist I didn't get along with. Um and uh but this record somehow ends up on. Two of the biggest music critics top 10 list for the year, which is bonkers because it showed what fucking mountain climbers they were because the culture doesn't fuck with the record, but they're fucking with the record, right? right. So Robert Christogal, he's a famous critic. and This guy named John Perelis writes of the times. So I get to keep my job and, and I have you guys coming down the pipe. Um, You guys scared the living shit out of half of the label, which I thought was kind of amazing. I thought that was like, great because you guys were.
0: like it to do that <laughs> of
1: course well you know look man people are like i feel like rappers and and fuck that young men black or white when you smell blood in the water you like the fucking you know you're going to circle that shit right because it's like you you smell the fear Someone shook and your natural impulse is to be aggressive that's just how we are as young men we're we're wired to be like that on some level um and i think that you guys scared people at the label which was fucking dope to me um, whether black or white, there was as many bougie black dudes who were scared as you as there were white publicists. Um, and I think, um, you guys didn't make it any easier when you swipe the car vouchers that, that didn't make it any easier for me. We didn't
0: swipe any car
1: vouchers. <laughs> Someone did. <laughs> I think.
0: Swiped um, any- um, Nobody swiped anything. Okay? okay. Let me explain what happened. Yeah.
1: I want to, I want to know this cause the, I'm always confused about it.
0: How the whole shit started in the first place. Okay. L- now, granted, I might have been the, you know, help develop it, but here's what happened. <laughs> so um, you mentioned him earlier, Raul Roach, right? Yes. Yep. So now the first show that we ever did, Electra had some punk ass uh publicity show for us, and it was at the Brooklyn Academy of Music.
1: I was with you guys.
0: Okay bunch of white people in the audience they had these masks and shit it was yeah, it was crazy.
1: fucking super weird
0: it was super weird so we did like what brand newbie and feel so good maybe that yeah. might have been all we had at the time yeah. but they was fucking with us they were so raul roach is there and he got some bad look model broad with him right so we had took xyz cars there i guess or something like that and so now, when it's time to go, to leave at the end, um, he's trying to call a car, but the number's busy or some shit's happening. And he's trying to get out of here with the broad. <laughs> so he's like, listen, um, just call this number and say Raul Roach, you know what I mean? And Boom, bam, boom. you uh, Ah,
1: the cheat code. And so,
0: and so you're good. You know what I mean? So I said, all right. So boom, he left with the broad. We called, did that. We got the car. Of course, we didn't go straight home. Like back then, <laughs> if you get a fucking car of that nature or something, you're going to go around with it or whatever the case may be. So for that night, we took the car. Da, 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 and then boom, we dropped off. So then it's like, you know, then I'm thinking like because you don't need that. they have vouchers in the car. You don't need to ah, steal any vouchers. They just ah. ask you to sign the voucher. Right, 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 and right. I'm like, so all you need is the account number, right? All, all you need is the name of the per of a of an authorized uh passenger.
1: So did you did you use Raul's name the whole time?
0: We used I used Raul's name till the till his name was no longer usable. <laughs> so then, then, right? So then what we would do is we just go up to the office. You motherfuckers got those lists of of everybody in the in the office. You got their name and their extension on your pasted uh, on your fucking wall, thumbtack to your wall. You know, your little directory. So you just go into the office, go to the directory and pick a name. And we just pick different names. And until the name can't be used no more till they get onto it and we move on. Yeah. So we moved on to female names. I had (laughs) Beth Jacobson, Like, (laughs) like my girl at the time was Beth Jacobson. Did you use my name? I don't know, probably. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm thinking know, I might
1: not have I might not have been on the the executive list for XYZ.
0: Bro, everybody on, on that worked on Electra was on the list.
1: Amazing.
0: If you worked on ad Electra, you could get a car.
1: That's amazing. So I wish much. I knew I didn't know this scam. I wish I knew the scam.
0: But no, no, here's the better the part, the better, here's the even better part of the scam. So not are we just getting rides, right? It got to the point where I'm coordinating shit. You can't call and ask for a particular driver. But I had a rapport with a certain, this Russian driver. And so he'll, he's like, listen, I'm going to be in your, you tell me around what time you think you're going to need me tomorrow. And I'll be in the area. <laughs> and so when you call, I'll pick up your call. You know what I mean? I'm getting this dude every day. <laughs> then, right then, I'm getting actual cash from this dude. How?
1: He, how did you get cash from him?
0: Listen, listen. Let me, let me put you on. And this is a scheme that can't even be done anymore. And you know, they already found out about it. So I'm not telling on a crime that I can get myself in trouble or anything like that. And really, it's not a crime. Y'all owed us this, this shit. We had we have to pay for it anyway in royalties. So we paid and you it
1: And, like, let's be real, the deal, and it was the most expensive deal I've ever done in my life at that point, was peanuts.
0: Right. So, they just, we deserve this. So, anyway, so this is how you get money. So, my guy who's the driver would be like, because I think, I don't know how, but one time I might have needed some bread. He's like, oh, I could, I could get you the bread. phones was mad expensive back then like cellular phones inside the car and these cars had phones in them you know what I mean that was some fancy shit back then so y'all could get like $350 a day from this dude a day <laughs> wow wow I, he'll just get it out of his ATM and get me to yeah, and, um, yeah, you know what I mean? That's and, incredible. Um, yeah, and now I'm riding around, getting chauffeured around. I'm going to pulling up yeah. the weed spots and shit. I'm in the Bronx. I'm in all of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm doing <laughs> but hold up. I'm the only one doing it at first. Then dudes found out. Like, you know what I mean? Right, right, like right. and I think I put poo on or some shit. And then you know, you know, he
1: goes crazy. He he <laughs> definitely had to, you know, move on. I was like I'm going I'm gonna take it to the bank.
0: Yeah, but uh yeah didn't, I,
1: didn't someone get caught like in a car, a girl got caught in the car.
0: Yeah, I think so because I see I was with this girl and then I broke up with her, but she was so used to using the car that she, she kept, kept using the car, right? Kept using the car still. And 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 this was after we had already got caught, and we was like, all right, we ain't gonna do it no more." And then they're like, "Yo, well, what's this address again?" And I'm like, "Yo, you still using a fucking car? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> fucking ass, yeah. want to go to jail? You better cut this shit out." Yeah, you know that's what I mean? That's so amazing. that was the last I, time it so happened. So I had I
1: had this this guy who worked there. I don't think you ever met him. His name was Howard Thompson. He was an English guy, and he ran the department. He was a fucking dickhead. He was a straight-up dickhead. He he didn't like rap music. He didn't like me. Um, He was um, probably a bigot, definitely a homophobe. He was a chump. And he sat me down and was like, your band has stolen $17,000 worth of
0: calls. I said,
1: said, really? He said, yes. (laughs) Did you know about this? I was like, (laughs) <laughs> no, I did not know about this. Is This is going on their recording budget, and you are now over budget. So I'm over budget. The album's more or less done, though. We're finishing it. Um, I, we go over budget, maybe $10,000. It's a $60,000 deal all in, if I'm not mistaken. So it's $70,000 to make the record. Right. And I, I had a guy next to me who signed Metallica. The office next to me was Puerto Rican dude, Michael Lago. He's totally bugged out dude. He's super cool. And I told him, I said, Mike, I think they're going to fire me. I, I'm $10,000 or $11,000 over on my album budget. He goes, Metallica won a million dollars over budget. No one, cares gives a fuck? no one cares. And I was like, really? And that was like <laughs> the first time I realized. That's when I realized that like, wait, there's a whole other way to do this. Like I'm making these records like I still work at Tommy Boy. I didn't know. I, I And that's part of the the whole thing, the way that rap worked. And I think maybe my experience was I just really didn't know a lot of shit and I kind of made it up as I went along. Right. We all did. Cause we didn't, have, we didn't, there was no rule book. Where's the rule book. We never got a rule book that said, this is how you make records. This is what it costs. This is, this is that. I really didn't know shit. I'm 24 years old, 25, 24. I think. I just didn't know any better. I didn't know how things work. I had no fucking idea.
0: Well, I knew enough. I knew they had enough money to man that shit. We was doing was. I
1: think you. I think you guys. I'm <laughs> gonna say you guys have a lot more game than me at that point in my life. Um, and and That's I picked strange. up some game fucking with you guys. I mean, look, Poobah had a lot of fucking game, and, I definitely, and I, I definitely learned some shit from him.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. What? You know? Yeah, he definitely showed us some things.
1: <laughs> Good. God, God bless. He definitely showed us some. So I mean I, was, so listen, I felt like all my all the other acts emulated Poobah's behavior once they realized there was ways to do things they were like oh, mm, doing like
0: this it and was like- I was going to ask you about other acts like because again you go on to sign KMD yep, yep. you know Zev Love X Subrock yep, Onyx yep, yep. um yep. and you know sub Zev Love X goes on to be MF Doom. Yeah, you know what I mean, like a real, uh, an, an icon, if you will. Yeah, an icon. Then you sign leaders of the new school. Yeah, you know what I mean. Who at the time, if everybody remembers, Charlie Brown was the one that everybody was looking at, like that. Nah, it was always
1: neck and neck. I disagree Listen, with
0: that. I'm t- I'm gonna tell you from my perspective, the streets. That whole, ah, ah, that shit he was doing? Yeah, was yeah. Standing out for some reason at the time. And he's the one that I remember people first talking about. I remember there was something about Buster's voice that was interesting. But I'm telling you, I remember people talking about Charlie first. and He was, later,
1: he had, he, he was very energetic, and he was around a lot more. You know, Buster, when he saw him, was in high school. He was 17. Right. So you know um, that, that may have did the apocalypse happen now. I saw the light change, it get darker.
0: Yeah, I had some bugged out shit happen, man. These fucking automated lights be doing their own thing sometimes. I just
1: um Lisa New School, if you remember, live were fucking incredible. They were always better live than their record. Like live you most people couldn't fuck with them. They had a crazy live show, like they were bouncing off the walls. It was like and they did the like cold crush you know like group vocals and shit they had they had a ridiculously good show
0: i didn't um, like their costumes though
1: yo they wore some really weird shit they had the shit that looked like a postal service outfit and yeah no, it was really wearing like
0: that that like the jamaican like dance hall very
1: jamaican custom made I,
0: and i know that was some buster 100% influence, and he 100%. said like listen we have we have to we're entertainers we have to entertain i understand but I, I just never liked it. And especially when we had to do shows with them. And like, there were times when we're, we're, we're sitting back and we're waiting and we're like, What's the problem? Why can't we get the show started? And they're like, oh, "Yeah, our, our 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 costumes just arrived at the airport, <laughs> and they're on our way. They're on the way here now." I'm like, <laughs> I "Need to get on stage with what you got on right now? What the fuck are you talking
1: about?" I I need an iron. I can't go on.
0: Yo, I couldn't believe it. It was like yeah, had a, you know, should be maybe another thirty minutes.
1: <laughs> I remember, I remember one time they were mad. Yo, shit's all wrinkled. We need an iron. I'm like, fucking getting an iron for bro. It's like nah.
0: Oh <sighs> man, yo, that's. I shit mean, look, the, the leaders hilarious. was always
1: the leaders was always like a handful. Like it just beam, you know, and they had the dancer, uh, Geronimo, and it was just the whole aura was chaos. Like, and there could be a fist fight amongst them backstage at any moment. Um, they were all scared of Milo. I don't care what any of them say. He had them all in check. What
0: happened to Milo? I don't know, man. I do not know. I, I felt he like. Milo in the dance with the new identity. Like, I liked his voice and shit when he got. When they, when I didn't he got like when he rapped.
1: Rap. When he started rapping. On that particular
0: song. I that song heard. was dope. That yeah. was dope. I didn't know he really rapped like that. But I'm just saying I liked his voice. I'm not going to say he was the best, but. On that and song, the, he was I like, like
1: By the time they did the second record, it was it was just a free for all. Like I don't care what anyone says, it was a free for all. There was there was just it was a free-for-all. It was fucking everyone's going for self. Buster knows he's a star, and he's sitting there like being very loyal, but the resentment is building. And Brown and him were like, you know, oil and water. Like they couldn't be in the same room together. You know, it was just like it was I've uh I've refereed multiple altercations between them. We've all seen it.
0: See, what I guess what I'm getting at is like you sign all these groups, and then <laughs> people from each group kind of almost go on to do even more. Kind of, you For know, sure. what I mean? For like sure. 100%. Um, do you feel like you were able to possibly see some of this in people earlier or just? People kind of surprised you as they as nah. they got older, and should be like, it's, "Oh, it's
1: you know, each situation is different." I knew Buster was a star, like mm. I, I, you know, once you know, I knew Buster was a star. Like him, by the time the second record comes out, when they perform live, the energy just goes up every time he gets on stage. Tip is in my ear, your man's the man. Scenario is the gift and the curse, biggest record they ever have, the one that causes the most dissension within the group. Mm. You know, so he's clearly the star. Diddy is in my ear. Yo, what's, what are you doing with Buster? Chris Lighty and me, are, we start to, you know, I, I don't want to say conspire, but we're like, time for a solo Buster album. The second record gets made. It's not good. Um, I send them back to do it again. I tried to bring in Q-tip. They all tell me no, except Buster. So I say, oh, he's smarter than everyone already, because the guy who made their biggest record scenario is down to fix the whole record. They don't want to hear it except Buster. So I'm wow. like, okay, not, on, not only is he the star, he's... Um, He's smarter politician Mm. and, and, you know, we, we know what's going to happen. Second record comes back again. It's marginally better. I know it's not going to pop off. It's not the record they needed to make to level up. And the rest is what it was, you know, and Buster is, I, I, we green light him do the record. It takes him two years to make the record and put it out by the time, he make puts the record out. I don't even work there anymore. I start making it on midway through, but I, you know, I, I have a new boss and I don't want to work for her anymore. She's not that nice to me. Um, and Zev is different because I always tell this to people, um, Doom is my friend, but I worked with Zev Lovex. I didn't work with MF Doom. Um, and he remained my friend till the day he passed. Like I spoke to him a few weeks before he passed. He was, um, fucking amazing and he's also like a metaphor for a lot of um you know like a lot of shit you know you hand someone the worst piece of bullshit in the whole world his brother dies he gets dropped from his label he's blackballed from the industry and he disappears for a few years and he takes all the bullshit that was subjected to him and he reinvents himself as mf doom and that's all the like fuel to his fire right he takes all the pain and suffering and um all the unfair shit that happened to him and he becomes a much more important artist. And and he's a lot like Pooh in the sense that he's always, you know, he he was like he's um he's a hustle master. He had a lot of hustles. And um MF Doom is the testament to his reinvention and his hustle. And and I did not see that in the cards because no one could see that in the cards. That's some like thing that no one's really ever done before or since. And may never ever do it again. He's a unique figure in the history of rap music, and and I think a much more important artist when he's MF Doom than he's in KMD than Zav Love X. He's greater than X. and there are moments when he hints towards Doom, whether it's a God Squad or other things. But when he becomes Doom, it's a whole different ballgame.
0: See, it's funny because when we first went on tour with them, I. I I remember doing like a, I think a West Coast tour, and it was us KMD and leaders of the new school. In the one bus. In the one fucking bus with all kind of and all kind of I, shit going on. And I remember at the beginning of that tour, KMD used to perform with these white robes. Like yes. you know, they were down with like the Ansar community. Ansar Law, exactly. And, and um, they used to have like white kufis with white yeah. robes and they would perform with this on. By the time the tour was over, by, <laughs> by them just like, because we was headlining it, you know what I mean? And so we're going last and they're just seeing how we're dressing and how we're moving. And you know, towards the end of the tour, these dudes took off those white robes and they didn't start smoking weed, but they had started drinking wine.
1: They loved sweet premium they, wine.
0: They started drinking wine. And yeah, and I was just like, oh, you know, I, I wasn't sure if that was good or bad. Like, But I feel like their shows improved, actually, when they did that. Um,
1: I think they got seasoned. They saw you guys and they loosened up. They were a little tight.
0: Yeah, they, they were they, a little tight.
1: You Know and they saw yeah. they saw a different thing, and Doom was what never, like, as people, they weren't tight, but you're right, there were some, you know, they were very involved in the answer a lot thing, they followed um Dr. York, and and they were, um, you know, I guess a little a little tight is the best way to describe it.
0: And um, but by the time it becomes Doom, oh, uh, he's, he's like he's, super he's loose, loose. He's, like, loose. <laughs> <laughs> he's like super loose, like, like, I'm like. He sound like one of these dudes, one of these Rikers Island dudes. Like like it was crazy. Like like I I
1: felt I felt like Black Bastards was much looser. It was a much better record than Mr. Hood. It was more spontaneous Uh in the moment. They they had they had um you know they they hung out with CM Mob a lot uptown. They were with George and Grimm and Rock Raider and um, my man T, rest in peace. One on T and and Jay Black, rest in peace. Um, these cats we knew, Wild Street dudes. Um, but but you know, just funny cats. And and they were in this world that was like they were taking a lot of psychedelics. They were taking acid and eating mushrooms and hanging out with Dell. And they had you know Onyx wasn't in the group anymore. They both had kids. A whole lot had happened in that period between the two albums, right? And then Black Bastards, I thought was. Much better than Mr. Hood. And I had high aspirations for it. I think it was gonna get five stars in the source because they loved it. It was either four and a half or five stars. And and it had um the the energy around the record before it came out was big. Like people were fucking with it. Like motherfuckers were like this shit is dope. Um and you know, the shit hit the fan with that record. It all it all went shitty. Um I mean, I know. feel like
0: I remember thinking why they naming it that? You know what why I mean? did you like, why did you feel that? I don't know. It just like I don't know. They used to have. See that's what I'm saying. Like when you don't, when a lot of this shit is in your head and you're not fully explaining, right? Shit, it gets it gets in muddy waters. Right. So well, you because that imagery you- of like. A sambo-looking character with, you know, lynchings and all of this type of shit, and you know, and then you say "black bastard," like, like I know there's some people in the chat right now that's just cringing that there's a white man right now in here saying saying "black bastard." I mean, you're right; it's an you uncomfortable understand? thing to say. Like, but and- but, but to me, that, so
1: by the fact that it's uncomfortable and that and that you have feelings about it says to me that it's valid. That means it's valid because there is dialogue, right? It's
0: good, I mean, I it's, can say it's good that to make, about anything. It's good,
1: it's good to make motherfuckers uncomfortable, I think. And his science, and I'm sure you know this by now, is it's the game Hangman that we all play as a child, right? Um, you know, that fucking game where you hang the dude. And it is the metaphor is saying death to the Sambo character, death to this school of thought. We are ending it now. And this is all over. We it's a new day, a new KMD, and we are saying bye bye. And yep, fuck you, you black bastards. Basically, is what he's saying. Like that sentiment doesn't exist anymore. We're killing it. And I think that no one allowed him to to um, no one allowed him to explain his science behind it. No one gave him an audience. I knew what it was about. He had created all his artwork his entire life for all of his music. So his messaging was all personal and his iconography was all um, tied to a philosophy behind it. There was science to it. It wasn't just bullshit. So, you know, for for him to... Um, to be convicted without investigation, not giving an audience to explain his rhetoric, what it was about, I think was a huge injustice. And it's not necessarily for me to explain it, though he's not here to explain it, so I do the best I can. And some things should not be said by, some things are better said by a black person than a white person. This is one of those things, but he's not here to say it, so I just have to explain his rhetoric for him. You know, because I think there's... um. I defend all my artist art, right or wrong. So did I agree with you and punks when you said, you know, fuck up a F? Well, back then I didn't think about it. But now in 2023, I'm as a grown man. We evolve and I probably don't agree with that sentiment. But if you wanted to say it today, I would say that's what you want to say. Say it because I don't censor art. So I don't censor MF Doom's messaging. I wouldn't censor your messaging or any artist. Because for me, that's not the way to go. Now you go. I see someone's mad. He said, I'm loose at the mouth. You can think whatever you want to think of. That's, you know, that's cool. You're allowed to have your perspective. But, you know, I will say this one time and one time only. I'm not a sucker. And anything I say here, I'll say to anyone, anywhere, at any time. So you should know that. I'm not a sucker. So don't get it fucked up. I'm an older man, but I'm not a sucker. I'll leave it at that. Um, And, Jay, you know, good to have this dialogue with you about this because um, your perspective is probably more important on it than mine is. I just was defending his art, and I'll defend it to the day I die because I believed in his right to say what he wants to say. Um, I see a lot of the comments, and and you know what? Um, I'm going to explain some of you about Corey, specifically about Black Bastards. Do you want to know who threw Black Bastards to the wolf? Who Who's the reason that this record didn't come out? A black woman named Terry Rossi, who wrote for Billboard. She wrote for the Monday Morning Monitor, and she's the one who took offense to the record cover, and a guy named Havelock Nelson, who wrote the wrap-up. And he, he is the man who threw it to the wolves. And it all started from there. And the people who were vehemently opposed to him even changing the art or talk to him about the messaging were Sylvia Rhone and Dick Parsons, who also worked at uh, the Warner Music Group. So um, it was a very controversial and um, crazy moment in time. He caught the body because... Um, he caught the body because of um Ice T's body, uh, cop killer. It came out eight months after cop killer. So Warner Music Group had already bowed down to censorship. So we got scared, not me, but people within the Warner Music Group were scared. Yeah. Sylvia Rohn, Dick Parsons, and they bowed down to the two reporters from Billboard, and the record never came out. So, and, and by no means am I mad, I'm just explaining it. I'm explaining the. Rhetoric. I can hear you hundred percent. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I hear yeah, you. Yeah, And I got the thing. Your connection acted up. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, you my shit was bugging out for a second. It said it. You know. Connection. So
1: I don't know if everyone heard what I said, but no, I no, heard. Saying, I
0: heard everything that you okay. said. You um, know. and I
1: just, I just say it because um, the story is um complicated, and um, look, the person who who really suffered the most was Doom, who had just lost his brother, and right. if, if he, if this doesn't happen doom doesn't become mf doom so by no means am i saying that this was a positive it was completely a negative injustice but it is part of doom's origin story and a very important part of it if all this doesn't happen he doesn't disappear and come back as mf doom
0: right everything happens for a reason man one door closes so that you're forced to walk through another sometimes and you know at the time it's hard to see these reasons um you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Now we see why it happened. Now we see, you know, why is the mad You know, why the villain had to be scorned and then come right out as you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, this you one, know. this one dude is really on it, man. He really, really, um, oh, hes throwing a lot of shots. It's cool, you could throw all the uh, shots you want. I mean, I don't really care. you
0: ain't even got to read all of these fucking.
1: Yeah, um, I ain't reading
0: none of that shit. Um. um I'm, Tell me, tell me about the book real quick, man. Yeah, what yeah. Let's made,
1: talk about the book. What made um, you
0: write a book? First of all, I just want to say that you're you you got to be one of the legendary A um, and R's in the game. Thank you. Um, I, I saw a a post from a guy I respect, um, Orlando Wharton.
1: Yeah, that's my okay. man.
0: Um. And he was like, yo, my top A&Rs of all time. And you were in the list. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was dope. And I love what he's doing. Um, yeah, well, He's a real that one, And He does. One, he does. I'd like to give him. He does. Like he,
1: he does um, he's like an a r like I was. You know, like I try to be. He's at every session. He's connected to the artist. He has a relationship with the artist that supersedes the label. Right. He's embedded in the, in their, their, their way that they move. Right. So even with you guys, I loved running around with you guys and being at the shows and if shit jumped off, I'm right with you. Right. Like I'm fucking with you guys. Like, and he's that kind of A&R guy. And when he was first starting out in the game, I, you know, you, you see a real one and he was a real one and I liked the way he moved. I liked his, his, this whole style was, was official to me. Um, and I, I, we just always, you know, when we first came to Warner, we cool. I was cool with him before that when he had, he was messing around with um, Ransom. He's a fucking real one. He's a good dude. So yeah. he put me on there because, you know, he, he also has always picked my brain. And I learned a lot from him, but I taught him a few things. So, you know, and um, if you're. A real one, I have no problem sharing any of my knowledge with you. And, and you know, I'm going to learn something from you because that's the way this thing goes. It's a fair exchange of knowledge with youth and the older dudes. And, you know, if you're a real one in this culture, you're always down to, you know, give it back because people gave it to me for free. That's how it works.
0: Right. Well, I'm not going to lie. I always fancy myself as a, as an A&R who's never course, worked at, at a label. Of course.
1: You know what I mean? Of course you are. I mean, but, I,
0: saw, I saw you
1: do dead press.
0: Man, uh, first you know? of all, but I've done I've done other shit that like that didn't come to fruition, like like that you didn't even know I had my hands in. Like I've been was fucking with DMX before DMX was DMX. You understand what I'm saying? Like Black Rob, I was fucking with like before he was when he was Bacardi Rob, like, um you know, but I had enough sense to know when guys are not ready either. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I yeah. saw you bring I saw you bring Stove God yeah. through. Right, exactly. I saw. I saw you, you had Stove God Jeffrey. in front of all of us, and that was the most recent. You know what I mean?
1: That and that was surreal, to be honest. Because you and Buster walking with Stove God, and, and we're in this big corporate Atlantic Records A and R meeting, and right. you and Buster are talking to me like we're in my office at a lecture about the smoke of blunt in nineteen ninety four, and
0: that was crazy. And,
1: and G- DJ Drama is like Jesus Christ. Like he afterwards, he like was like, yo, Jesus Christ, he, that was that was wild.
0: That was wow. That was wow. It was Mike Kaiser was in there I don't too, think, right? I don't
1: think was Kaiser there. Julie was there. I don't know if Kaiser was there. Oh. Um, I he may have been. I know Riggs okay. was there, drama, Craig Kalman. Um, I don't was Orlando there, he was there too, right?
0: See, I didn't know Orlando at the time. He was if there he, too, was,
1: he was there. See, I didn't Definitely. even know. And I remember after the meeting. Um, drama and Riggs are both like, wow, but but drama who is a real one too. I crazy I've known him a long time and he's really in this music shit. Like he's about it. Um, just he was like, because you know, he's older and he he loves brand newbie and he was he was like, Yo, D, that was crazy. He was like, That was wild. You know, I just it was cool. That was like a full circle moment in in time. You don't get many of those.
0: Right. Well, yeah, man. Well, now I got a guy, go- a, a guy named Great God, man, who was <sighs>
1: I got to hear it, (laughs) bananas. let me know. I got, I got a thing. We'll talk offline, but I got a, I got a little, um, open door thing for you that, um, if you guys want to use it, there's a couple bucks for you to pick up with no strings attached. So you'll let me know.
0: Oh shit. Let's go. Let's go. You know,
1: I, and, and look, Jay, um, our relationship has always been, um, it started out crazy. I always had the utmost respect for you because you're about your shit. And, you know, not everyone's about their shit. And, and um, I always, also the other things, when you talk about the guest in the house, mm-hmm. to me, that's like the best metaphor for this. Mm. I, I absolutely, and I, and I saw a couple of people also have said the same thing. And I think, look, Macklemore's kind of, he's my friend. I think he went at it and and his answer was a little full of white guilt. Mine is not necessarily full of that as in the same sense, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I'm a blue-collar kid. I have a different existence than him. But one of the greatest honors in my life is being able to contribute to the culture and the art and to be allowed to be a guest in the house, to contribute in a small way to a much, much bigger picture. And to me, that's one of the greatest honors in my whole life. You know, It's like I got to be accepted in a place where many people of my color do not get accepted or they don't know how to move. And I was allowed to move properly. um, And I was taught how to move properly by people like you, um, Jam Master J, DMC, Russell, Andre Harrell, lots of other people um, taught me how to move. Even Latifah, people who are younger than me and the whole thing. I was I was taught to conduct myself properly as a child as well. Um, and it's a great honor to have to be allowed to be a guest who can contribute something in, into the house of hip hop. That's you know, that's everything to me. And and at the end of the day, I always want to be remembered as someone who um, acknowledged that and contributed a little bit to the big picture.
0: You know, I, I think first of all, I think your age and when you entered into it has a lot to do with it. You know, the fact that you were exposed to the. You know, Funky Four plus one more and Cold Crush and all that type of shit, um, to really understand its origins. At, whereas you have the newer generation who kind of feels entitled to it, kind of feels right. like, "Well, this is all our shit, right?" Like you know, like like <laughs> you know, it is, but it isn't. Like you know what I mean? Like not saying, and I and I hate when people try to misconstrue my words. And say that because yes, I have changed my tone as far as um white people making hip hop, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I see plenty of um dope white producers, you know what I mean, that can make some dope ass beats, dope white rappers and all of that type of shit. Yeah, boom. That's so so, but back in the days, I would have like been like, oh hell fucking no. Um I mean, hip-hop is a black art,
1: just like jazz. Like, there's no two ways about it. Um, and, you know, if, if people like me or alchemists or Muggs or whomever it is um, are allowed to be Bill Evans, if you will, or mm. someone of that nature, um, God bless. You know what I mean? But we also all acknowledge, much like I'm sure Bill Evans did, that jazz was a black art form and hip-hop is a black art form. There's no two ways about it. And anyone who says anything else um, is kind of stupid and also probably white. You know what I mean? Like the whole, like, I don't see color in music and all that. That's just not how it works. It's a nice right. idea, but that's not the way life works. That's not the world at large.
0: Okay. So, again, tell us about the book. What made you start writing a book? Um,
1: um, so, my dad was a, my dad's a writer. He wrote, you know, he's published like 15, 14 books in his life. Um, my dad got sick. He had cancer. Um, first time. And when he after chemotherapy and when he's in remission, he was like, yo, we should write a book together because we both had really interesting lives and we weren't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily raised with him. So we went to um, write the book and uh, he got sick again. And I put the book down because I had to take care of my pops. Mm -hmm. He eventually passed away um, of cancer, liver cancer. So I I put the book down for like, I put it, I was like, I looked at it, I was like, I put it in a shelf, in a drawer. I'm not fucking with this. It was too painful. Um, and as we fast forwarded, you know, almost seven, eight years, uh, his dear friend of mine got sick. And he was like, yo, you know, the book you started with your dad, you need to, you need to fuck with that. You need to, you need to get that testament down. So I went back to it and revisited it. Um, and he got sick and he passed. And um, I went through some shit like, kind of like, How do you say, like, I felt like a struggle rapper on an independent label, like I had bullshit. Did you already have a
0: publisher for this?
1: So here's the thing. I had a lit agent, and I did. Dan Charnis helped me get to a publisher who wanted to do, he had a standing offer for me the whole time. Um, I got a lit agent, and he was like, oh, this book, I can make it. You can get $100,000 for this book. And he tried to bring in this other dude to help me out. He was like my A&R guy. I was the artist for once. He was a, shit, he was a, he was a shitty ass A and R guy. He brought, he brought in this guy who was doing a remix on my book, and he tried to change the title to Beat Boss. I was like, "Fuck out of here with that bullshit!" It was it was like you would like. I'm like, "Wake up!" And you're like, "Nah, be." <laughs> so right, I, I, I shut oh, him my down.
0: dead body.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was like, shut him <laughs> down, kicked him out the fucking, kicked him out the, the picture, fired the lit agent. I got the Sutherland agent who became my good friend. He knew my dad, this has Kirby Kim, he's he's an ace. He worked out my standing deal that was there. And then he did the wildest thing. He didn't take any money for it. He did it on the arm. Cause she like, I just want your book to come out. I don't mm. need those, I don't need that. This is, he didn't say for the culture, but this is, you know, this is my gift to you. So, I, um, you know, I got the publisher, I, I put it out. Just recently. And I think the reason I really, the pandemic had a lot to do with it. I really rewrote the book during the pandemic because one, we have nothing to do. And two, um, so many people died around me that I felt it was important for me. Even if only three people read the book that I get my story on paper and out there, a lasting testament to my story because, you know, I lost both my partners who I made music with Gibby and Gibby to Johnny and John Gamble died my good friend Keith Huffnagel died. My friend Gabby died. My godfather mm-hmm. died. Um, it was a year of death. um and of course, doom died. So I was like, you know what? let me let me talk my shit and get it on paper um before I might check out because you never know at this age, you know, I'm in good health. I always have taken care of myself. Um I don't drink, I don't smoke, I, I eat I eat I eat very, you know, I eat righteously. Um, I meditate. I do all this stuff for mental and physical health. But still, you could die in your sleep at any moment. Who the hell knows what could happen? And also, dudes who abuse their body the whole life live to 85. You never know, luck of the draw. So I felt I needed to do it because who the hell knows? I could be out here tomorrow. So I did it, and um, I like the end result. You know, look, if I could do it again, I'm a better writer now. I sold the screenplay since then. I have a bunch of shit I've written that I'm developing, like for serious people um I've learned to write better I can do a lot more with less words now but mm-hmm. um this book is where it is kind of like making your first record your first records raw unrefined you know your second one is probably better technically maybe not as soulful so these are the Are you things. planning on writing
0: another book?
1: I'm in the middle of the second book. Ah. It's a uh, short stories that I've written over the last 10 years 160 pages in um eight sto- uh six stories it will be eight to twelve stories when I'm done. Um, um and they're and they're, they're fiction. They're, they're they're fiction based on real life. So augmented fiction, I guess.
0: Hmm. Now let me ask you real quick. Um, have the authorities ever um <laughs> asked you about that sign that's behind you? That hundred and sixty first street sign? No, they have not. And it came to me from
1: you know, uh, a source. I will leave nameless, a graffiti guy. I went to his house and he had many signs. And I was like, I like that sign. He said, you like that he said if you could get it to your house, it's yours.
0: Right. So like, I hired if a man with a van.
1: Safely. Yep. I hired a man with a van. He came and picked it up and I took it. It was like $30. So,
0: oh, shit. That's funny as fuck. Um, so... Okay, here's what I want to ask you. Um, okay. So you ended up having great success, right, with Everlast.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. Where y'all did, what'd you do, like a a a, a, a folk? It's more folky? Nah, I
1: would say it's like singer-songwriter, singer, singer, it? like singer-songwriter, like kind of like, Bob Dylan Neil Young type of thing with hip hop elements to it,
0: you know? Right. Now, let me see. I feel like a lot of times when ro- white rappers and I'm gonna be honest, the only one that hasn't really done it is Eminem.
1: It's true. And but M does so, kind so, of so
0: I I just want to say let me just spell it out there. A lot of times when white rappers when their success has you know, finished in right. the mainstream rap um, uh, genre, they will move into a next genre, be it rock or some sort of soft rock folk or some shit like that. And Everlast definitely did that. Um, Kid Rock did it. Um, yeah. You see Machine, Machine Gun, Gun Kelly, Kelly. has yeah. done it uh, recently. I mean um, one
1: one could say the beasties did it. I mean they made hip hop. They, they absolutely
0: did it. Rick Rubin shit was probably the first one to do it. He's um, the
1: he's the role model for sure.
0: So I'm just saying, like, what do you what do you think about that? And 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 do you see how that's that wouldn't be so easy for your average black artist to just now go into another genre and be successful.
1: So when you were talking about, I started thinking like, is there any black artist who did that? Is there any black guy who like became an R&B singer? Like after he was a rapper and successful. So I know music soul child was a human beatbox. um, And a very good one. Yeah. He was really good. Supposedly. Okay. Um, But, and he rapped, but he wasn't successful as that. He became successful as music soul child. And I really can't find when I, because I, I was just thinking about it right now in the memory banks, a black artist who did that. So there's black artists who have, who have, um, obviously, you know, black people invented rock and roll, right? So rock and roll is black music. Um, and we all know this, even though they try to rewrite that shit. Chuck Berry's the king of rock and roll. Fuck Elvis, blah, blah, blah. But but that said, um, I can't think of a black artist who did that. And I would say that that is a tricky, it's, there's a lot of landmines in this combo.
0: <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna,
1: I'm gonna try to I mean, let's it.
0: keep it real is that
1: part uh, yeah, of, is that part it of is, white
0: privilege
1: it, i think it it you know i have to say it probably is part of white privilege and i think as white people we probably have to call it out um i can't think of most steph tried to do it but i think i want to say that most steph wasn't successful at it because of most steph not because of the music he made i think most steph um very chaotic not that focused in his attempt to do jack johnson so i thought that that could have worked but it didn't even work
0: if you there. name one black artist that did it that would be uh an old story you see what i'm yeah. saying like yeah. that would just be You're one right. out of i named you know a bunch of white artists that were able to do this um, and 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 see that kind of goes to show like it's a double standard See, because in a way, certain certain artists are cosplaying. You know, hmm. do you think
1: co- the, do you think the Beastie Boys were cosplaying
0: in Everlast? Do I think they were cos... I mean, it with their rap persona. In a way, they were having fun with black culture like especially the beastie boys they definitely were having fun the beastie boys like it was it was almost a joke in the beginning let's right the waiters and drinking brew you know like 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 from around the way like like if you was from new york around the way meant brooklyn like but only you had to be from new york to even know what around the way really meant um yeah and and i just feel like so it's kind of like all right so so yeah, let me no, no, let me explain I, a little bit. I'm just gonna give an analogy me. real quick. So yeah, so please. what I'm saying is it's like it's like the dude who wants to pretend he's a gangster, but then when the shit hits the fan, it's like now you're pulling off the rag oh, I ain't no gangster, and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah over, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm over here, like you know, I'm just a rapper, like you know, like, you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah. So I it's kind of it. like once your shit is over playing around and 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 you've you know if you've rinked. All the fame that the black people is going to give you now—it's like, all right. Well, now I'm going to come home, you know. Now I'm going to uh, come to my senses, you know. I know I was acting real crazy when I was over there with those black people, but now yeah. I'm going to come home. Uh, mm-hmm. Please reward me, like
1: that's so. To me, that I mean, that's a it's a funny like uh, the, the- <laughs> yeah, funny the take on caricatures, well, I- <laughs> <laughs> make me laugh. So, so I I think um a couple of things. So a guy, guys like the BC boys, they played instruments. They were musicians before they rapped. Right. Um, They kind of never fronted like they weren't musicians. Um, And they reinvented themselves playing music and rapping at the same time. And they created a hybrid that was pretty unique. And I I feel um, earnest. I don't think it was exploitive of rap culture. To me, it wasn't. And I think, I would think... Well, that's think what we they that, did later
0: on. Right, but
1: I'm going to say that, like, I think License to Ill, maybe it was exploitive. And I think that Russell Simmons probably encouraged some of that. To be honest, he saw the dollar signs. Right. So, so right. And, that's, and, what,
0: and what I'm saying is, if and if black... If, if hip hop culture would have really embraced the Beastie Boys like we did in License to Ill, because I'm going to tell you, they're one and only white boy. Like I was in the quarters, hold it right. now, hit it. Yeah, that's your that they yeah. would play for real, for real. So, yeah. and no, I don't know a lot of other white rappers that could say that because they damn sure don't play Eminem in the club, but that's a whole other thing. Um, I mean, they,
1: you're right, I mean, they they played that record and they also played, um. Paul, Paul Revere. Revere, yes. Like, and that shit would make people go crazy.
0: Those like, two you know. joints are the ones they played. But, um, yeah, I say that to say. So now, imagine that we embraced them more. Like, would they have gone on over to those instruments and all? Or would they have kept trying to do? You see, what I'm saying. Well, I, know, I know, I know, really I know.
1: Talking with you, so I know. They, and you're right. Their second album was a flop. Paul's Boutique, as good as it is but they picked up instruments because that record flopped and they were like, what do we do now? Well, let's do some shit. Let's, and, and to me, it wasn't contrived. It was just them um, going like, let's reinvent ourselves and see what we come up with. Right. It was, let's reinvent
0: ourselves. And since we are white and have a lot of white fans, what else do white people like besides hip hop that we can kind of tap into? Well, and so I don't think, man, don't think I... black artists. I'm just saying I can't easily be like, right. well, now since I'm black, what else? Like, I can't jump over to reggae if I want. You know what I mean? Like, well, you like, could, you could if
1: you tried. Maybe. I
0: mean, I could if I tried. Try, but has it tried? would be It would be harder for me. Like, you know what I mean? Ho- it like, would be harder
1: culturally because also
0: and you know, reggae. You know, got to be
1: Jamaican to really do reggae. That's it. Like kind of
0: like, I mean, you know, or some sort of Caribbean, like, you know what I mean? And even though I have going back, I'm, I'm from New York. Like, you know what I mean? I grew up here. Like, you know what so, I mean? Like I don't have no family members that have accents. So. So I thought, you know I thought mean? of
1: one, one um black artist who did this one. Who Ice tea body count. And he will go on tour and sell out. Yeah. thousand five thousand seats. Yes. His, his, his body count shit. Is popping and it's more popping now than even ever. He won a Grammy a couple of years ago for best heavy metal record. So Ice is the one guy who came to mind. Um, and Ice T loves hard rock. Like he loves that shit. That's, he's always been a fan of Slayer and all this shit. So um, he's the one guy I could think of. And he's also Ice T. And you can't really compare him to anyone. Does that make sense? He's a very... And that's why I individual. said it's
0: an anecdotal story. I said, if you do come up with one, then it's going to be very... You came up with one. Good job. Do that-
1: <laughs> you think it's funny that he made heavy metal, like hard rock, as opposed to R&B? Because the natural thing would be for someone who's a rapper to maybe switch it up. You know, Big Daddy came, right? If you could sing, could maybe have been like... You know Bobby Brown or some shit. He could have came out and made R and B records, but he didn't. And I've never seen anyone do it. And um, I can't tell you why that is. It seems like if they if someone was talented enough to do it, it would work. But I've never seen it work. I've never seen hip hop has
0: more of a rock and roll. If you're going to describe the energy, you know, then it's it would be more likened to rock and roll than to R and B. That's why it made sense for Ice T to do fucking rock and roll because i've i've been overseas and people do mosh pits to hip yep. hop the yep. same way they do mosh pits to fucking rock and roll and shit and and oh. there's times when you're on stage feeling like a fucking rock star like you know what i mean like so look where we are now though with the kids right
1: so i'll a couple of people examples xxx extension mm-hmm. like him or not he made like emo he had records that were emo pop rock records like emo ass rock records that were big records. And then Tyler, the creator is another, another chamber of that, right? He does something that's almost undefinable. um, Mm -hmm. And, and I don't want to say rock and roll, but has a very rock and roll appeal. And then there's bands like horror, which are like, or city morgue, or even fucking six, nine for that matter, that feel to me more rock and roll than hip hop. And am I wrong in thinking this? And I think these records, We're embraced by the kids who listen to a lot of emo, kind of like Southern California driven punk rock, like stuff like Paramore and all this other stuff. There's a whole world of rap that feels very connected to that shit right now. And I don't know if that fits into this paradigm, but I think it's, it's adjacent to that. So, and maybe that's generational and it doesn't really answer your question necessarily. Um, but XXX did make pretty much an emo rock record. That was huge. Um, so I do think that also it's cultural. Um, as a, I think white kids are raised with their parents' music. Most of their parents listen to white music, right? So maybe they had a Stevie Wonder record, but they probably listened to Led Zeppelin and Johnny Cash or whatever the fuck's in the house. My parents listen to everything. So I think that my that's parents listen to
0: everything. I had Fleetwood Mac in the crib right next to fucking James Brown. I'm did, just you, li- did you listen to Fleetwood Mac yourself? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah I did. You you, you know, see, you don't know about me. Like, there's a lot of shit you don't know about me, Dante. I'm just I'm know? just curious. I'm curious like, about growing, you know, up shell, growing up in Nourish. Growing up in shell like there's a lot of mixed Shit going on, like so. There's a lot, a lot of white people
1: in New Rochelle. Exactly. So a lot a of, like, of Jewish people in New Rochelle.
0: White, Spanish, fucking all kind of shit. So, um I say that to say, I used to like kiss when I was a kid.
1: I like kiss too, but I don't think I like the music. I like the theatrics.
0: I like the theatrics. Well, it was hard to me too. Like hot, hot,
1: hot I as mean, hell,
0: like some shit like that. Like I mean, in a, in <laughs> a way, it was hard to me when I was young.
1: It's like rap in a way, right? Because it's antisocial.
0: Yes. Um,
1: you know, KISS, when I saw KISS, um, I saw Parliament Funkadelic the same year or a year later, and I felt like they were similar live stage shows. I was like, this shit is like super theatrical, it's amazing. Uh, and Earth, Wind, and Fire, too, I saw when I was a kid. It all, to me, seems similar.
0: Yeah, I just and, say that to say, like, um, you know... Yeah, I, have, I think you're right. Eclectic, I think, eclectic, I think you know... It's never, not so easy for a black man to and, do some shit th- like that. That's all.
1: I, th- I think virtually impossible. Um, and I think you're right. I think that um, it's twofold. There is some white privilege involved. And I also think that... Um, cats are leaning into a lot of the culture that they were listening to before they discovered hip hop. Right. It's mm. not, not everyone discovers hip hop at the same time. So I can't, machine gun Kelly is a wild card in the mix because um, he went punk rock and he's so much younger than not punk rock, but like emo core. And he's so much younger than us. Um, I don't know what he was raised with. Um, it makes sense that he makes the music he makes if I think about his age, because he probably was into the Paramours and the Blink-182s of the world before he rapped. Um, Everlast is a unique individual because I feel like his connection to hip-hop is very honest and real. He has told me many times that he listened to ACDC and um, bands like that, and then Run DMC came out and it flipped his wig and he never looked back at that stuff again. But he grew up with his dad who played guitar and played Neil Young and Johnny Cash songs. And he learned how to play guitar as a child. I
0: remember Cheap Trick. Remember Cheap Trick?
1: Of course. Live at Budokan. Fucking Mommy's All Right. Of course I remember that. I remember. um, And I also remember records like Fly Like an Eagle that somehow... was a played on black radio radio you know we always had these or holla notes so because i grew up on wabc i don't know if you listened to that when you were a kid
0: yes i did that. see i didn't discover my mom's listened to ab like i didn't discover fm till later like Me i didn't either. live in a regular black household like my mom well, was here she listened to country music she listened to all kind of shit like and so I remember listening to, like, Top 40 radio. Right. I remember I the Top 40 kid. show that
1: came on on Sunday when
0: I was a kid. But uh, we had James Brown records, and I love the James Brown records because they had sure. a black man's face on the record. And I was like, wow, this motherfucker's so famous. He got his face on the record. wow. This is crazy. I, mean,
1: I like James Brown because my sister liked it, and when her friends would come over, that's what they play, and they dance around the house. So James Brown was like, in the DNA of my house, house as a child, my mom was more Aretha Franklin, Nina Simone, um, but she liked everything too. And it doesn't answer your question, and I think I not answering the question because I don't necessarily have an answer because I haven't really thought about the question ever before. But you kind
0: of, but you acknowledge it exists. Yes. Oh, Oh,
1: one hundred percent. Look, if as white people, if we don't acknowledge white privilege, we're doing a disservice to black people. So we have to acknowledge it. And I acknowledge it emphatically. And this is an example of it that I probably had never seen before. And I thank you for showing me this. It's something to look at. And I think like I thought about this a lot more the last 10 years um, because it's been more important maybe than it have been. When, when, you when, see, when you see young black, young black people getting killed fucking all the time, you have to really look at yourself and question your white privilege because- you know, it's not accidental that young white kids are not getting killed like that by white people. This is the the worst and for the most example of white privilege that I that we can see. The one that we all can see, but the the clandestine ones, the subtler ones, like the point you're bringing up, I don't necessarily see that stuff. So it's good to get my coat pulled on it and to see it. And I don't know what
0: the
1: I don't know what the answer is and maybe it's not for me to have the maybe answer maybe it's not an maybe. answer it's
0: not necessarily an answer i'm just brought it up you know i think I mean? it's interesting I, I think it does exist it.
1: i think it does exist and i think that um, um it's not fair we, maybe we need more body counts you know it's funny too here's an example but they weren't rappers so my favorite punk rock band of all time is the bad brains they're black dudes right um, I would have loved them if they were green, but their music is so good. I think because they're black dudes, they're funkier. There's a funk in the the crazy punk rock shit. They're doing that. No other punk rock band ever had. Mm. So, you know, I mean, and, and the inverse of that is I didn't love living color. They didn't have that funk to me.
0: Mm. I feel you. Um, well, see, now when I think about it, if I want to give you like, a kudos. I could say I can't think of a band, a group, an artist that you signed that necessarily contributed to the. bullshit.
1: I mean, I never signed a gangster rapper, I, right? I, you know, that's not me. Like, you, you never
0: know? signed no murder music. Did you sign yeah. Dell as well? Dell, of ended? course, of course, All right? So, you know, like,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't sign murder music because that's um. That's not my wheelhouse. Hang on, let's,
0: let's clap it up for that. that. Yeah. Never sign no murder music.
1: It's not a conscious decision. You know what I mean? It just is. Like I never, you know, in the band I tried to sign and Bob on two bands he wouldn't let me sign. Cypress Hill, because mm. of Killer Man, because he it was, you know, it was controversial. And he didn't let me sign the Gravediggers because of 1-800-SUICIDE. He's mm. like, I'm not signing this record. They have a song in there. It's like, you know, it's pro suicide. And I was like, no, it isn't. And he was like, I'm not signing this. So he wouldn't let me sign those two groups. And I wish I had I signed I, them had them had them mm. I mean, Cypress Hill should have been on Elektra. They would have fit in with everything.
0: I mean, I used to be hanging with fucking Be Real. Like,
1: I remember early, the record you guys. The- I remember the-, the record yeah. you guys made, Sparking Another, another
0: L. L. Come on, man, that was the shit. Like. Um. Yeah, man. Very unique yeah.
1: group, you know. Cypress so was would be real. Last night, I did the singer Barnes and Nobles, and to me, they're um, they might have been the most the West Coast group that had the most East Coast vibes. If that makes yeah. any sense,
0: you know. Souls I and love Mr. Love Solo, their music when that shit. When I first heard their shit, I was just I was sold. I was like, Yeah, me this, too, man.
1: I was blown shit. away.
0: Their blown demo away. was.
1: A demo was kind of the album too, and that's what pisses me off because they had Hand on a Pump and Killer Man were on the demo. Um mm. so you know, fuck I, I should have maybe I should have quit my job and took it somewhere. Who the fuck knows?
0: <laughs> um, but,
1: but um I did sign down and um yeah, murder music doesn't appeal to me. That's just not I don't you know, I listen to NWA, I like NWA. And I like some gangster rap. I just don't I don't really feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. I can't explain other than that. Mm. It's like it's not I never thought about it too much. Because it's just not what a—that's not what I'm supposed to do. I don't think I would have signed Ice Cube if I could have, though. But you know, and then that's the other thing: is the music it, is the music important? Ice Cube was important, right? Yeah. So, so you it's, know, I Ice
0: loved fucking America's Most Wanted. That's, didn't didn't
1: my... we all didn't we all love America's Most Wanted? I, I think it was it was um, lovable. I think the other thing was um, NWA was you know like spoke of California, New York, New York always fronts on this, but New York was late on the first NWA album. Like there's like, I loved NWA. I was like, no, you didn't. There's like three people who knew NWA in New York. I was one of the three Chuck D and Hank were probably the other two. Um, So, you know, I don't know. Murder music game for me. And, Oh, this is what I want to say. You were the first person I knew who, who loved outcast. You're the first person. When outcast first came out, you were like, yo, the motherfuckers is dope. I remember, the shit was on in my. I had the TV in the office. I had Young TV raps on all the time, and that shit came on. He was like, turn that shit up, Southern playlist. I was like, yeah, that shit. You were like, Yo, that, were that like, shit is funky, and I was like, yeah, I, I like that. that. I remember that, but you were like,
0: the when the album night. dropped, boy, I was on it. Riding you were the first out.
1: dude, the first dude I knew who who was really riding for Outkast in all of New York City is Lord Jamar.
0: I was I was riding for UGK early. I was riding uh, for Spice 1C. I fucked with a lot of outside of New York shit before niggas in New York was doing that. Like, they was just only New York. And I had certain artists that I was like, nah, this is crazy. Like, when I first heard Pocket Full of Stones, I was like, yo. That's funny you say that
1: because they were on a promo tour with Souls of Mischief, of all people, 1993. And that's when I got hip to UGK. And I met Bun in New York and A plus of all people from Souls of Mischief in a hotel room was like, yo, you heard UGK? I was like, who's that? Like, I didn't really know what they were. And we were stoned. And he's like, yo, they're in the hotel. They're going to come through in a minute. And they came through and I met them. Um, Pimp C wasn't there. It was only Bun B. Um, and and I was like, oh, shit. And what bugged me out about them, too, is they were sampling meters records and all the shit that we were sampling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and also, like you, I could hear someone who could rap they could rap, right? MJG and A-Ball, ball could rap.
0: Scarface mm-hmm.
1: could rap, right? So, you know, you can always hear dudes who could rap. Like, it's not hard to tell.
0: Yeah, man. We used to have fucking freestyle sessions in hotel rooms and them shit. Them dudes was dope, man. Especially Bun was really crazy with it, but mc could fucking rap too but he was like the mind he was the brain behind the he's the, the sound band. too he's the sound yeah, of it all. The music like, and the production and, and
1: the singing shit the high-pitched voice like he's just like yeah he's iconic i mean ugk's music too they're one of those groups they got better with time if that makes sense like the world caught up to them yeah they were like ahead of everybody
0: facts facts damn man uh we definitely went for a while, man. It's like yeah, man. We talked hours. for a long time. Man, shit.
1: <laughs> and, I, and I gotta, I gotta be somewhere at three o'clock, so I gotta. Yeah, I gotta all right, get
0: man. Well, this was, this was great, man. Was great, I enjoyed man. this, man. Oh,
1: I want to ask you, what other, who, what are, who are the other brave Caucasians who entered the lions, then?
0: uh well, you know, my guy, I don't really fuck with no more. Vlad was up here. Okay, um, he came live to the shit before. Um who is up here um Tupac's brother Mo Prime came up here with this with this lady I forget what that was about Um who else I'm not remembering but yeah, definitely
1: they're not memorable, yeah. Then they're, they're, oh,
0: they're not gonna be as memorable as this. Because see, up here we like that we like that real hip-hop information. Like, I try to get a lot of like classic people up here, you know what I mean? Like the real foundational people like of this hip-hop shit. So, you know, cast. You need, and all to, you, those you need to get Pete Nice up here. Yo, you know what's crazy? <laughs> I just saw a video of Pete Nice with a fucking beard rhyming or some shit somewhere looking like he didn't really want to rhyme, but like somebody made him say his little verse real quick. Yo, that will be kind of, if he got an ill story, like did I have, you know what he
1: does now, right? He, he helps run the universal hip hop museum.
0: Oh, see, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Because he's um, a huge collector of hip hop memorabilia, like one of the foremost in the whole world. So he gave all his collection to the museum. So he, he um,
0: gave it to them. They did give him the well,
1: no I mean, he didn't sell it to him, but it's all on display there. Right. Um, um, and, and he knows all the other big collectors. So he curates a lot of the stuff for Rocky with everyone else who's working up there with your man who's really involved with the LG. Ah. Uh, yeah, so he um, he's around a lot, and he has the hip hop flyer exhibition right now on the lower side. That's super dope. You should go; you'll dig it. Um, and he, I, I'll connect you guys. You and you know, it'll be good because yeah, he's a funny guy. A,
0: uh, somebody sent me something about that flyer museum because I think they had a flyer with us on it or something in there. Something. I
1: think he does. He he showed. He has definitely. Yes, he does. He has. I think. Did you do shows with them?
0: Probably.
1: I think it's a third base, Day Lab, Brand Newbie, and then someone else flyer that I saw.
0: Ollie, we did show so many fucking shows back then. It was hard. The, the
1: the best show that I remember is when you guys <laughs> at the Palladium in LA with the sound man. I'll leave it at that. Oh uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was great. That was that great. was a classic prime punks jump up and then a punk yeah, it was. actually it was jumped up. up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, and, oh, and people, real people. quick, when it, I see when they talk about that word in that song, I don't like when they try to assign it the terminology of it, the right? The terminology. It's a so when you say uh, F mother," you know that doesn't yeah. have anything to do with their sexual proclivity. That's just now that. That means it's a punk ass motherfucker. Rock term yes of a bitch ass and that can be heterosexual homosexual whatever nobody's commenting on that but they almost try to hijack our fucking shit and make it about that you see what I'm saying 100%. they try to act I mean, like th- the whole song was about that and it wasn't I mean
1: I, rem- I remember your comment you said oh they're, they're gonna put up flyers boycotting us you were like that's the second sniping campaign I was like yo this guy I never forget that I never I was like whoa and I remember everyone was people were freaked out at Electra and um you know that was another one of the like you know you guys were great at scaring people at the label I think that's just great and I think that more people at labels should be scared by their artists I think that's kind of good cuz I don't get scared I'm always like this is fucking this is cool I get it like and if you buckle under it you deserve to you deserve everything that comes to you
0: I mean, I was shocked. I was surprised when they even tried it. I was like, they're really reaching right now. They're really trying to turn this into something that it's not. Like, this is crazy. Like, you know. But I there's mean, a few things in there that are said that, you know. Well, X says some things and he, you know, he says he apologized. I don't apologize for nothing I've said. <laughs> I mean, and, you know. I mean, I've, everything I've said.
1: You know, I stand by everyone's right to say. But I'm also
0: saying that I wasn't. You know what I mean? That's not what the fuck I was talking about. So I stand by what I said. Like you can try to make act it like why I was talking about that, but that's not what I was talking about. That was the furthest thing from my mind. Trust me.
1: Hey, look, that song rocks to this day. Right. uh, That's one of the like I have like maybe ten songs I'm associated with in my career that never went away. That's one of them. That and and um all the dirty stuff, you know what I mean? Like shimmy and, and Brooklyn zoo that never goes away.
0: Right. Maybe um, that's it. Well, you signed, you signed dirty too, right?
1: Yeah, of course. Damn, man. Yeah. That's dirty. was, he, you know, he was the, you know, he was the live, liveliest guy I ever worked with in my life and working with him was like, you know, you knew you're, you knew you got a great one. How do you get it done? How do you get it out? How do you get it to the finish line? You got lightning in a bottle. You know what you think it's probably never going to happen again twice. You um, know, he only had one other song outside the album really ever that popped off. Um, and that first record's great. And, you know, it's all RZA, but I had to I had to like get it in the package. You know I got all the information. Can I get it in the bottle and get it out there? And we managed to do it one time and one time only
0: yeah he was man he was something else boy like oh well,
1: oh I forgot to say this I'll plug my shit besides my book I produced this uh, Old Dirty Master doc for A&E with Sam Pollard and the estate and Jason Pollard directed it um, so it's with Isolene and Messiah Jacobs who run the estate and it comes out in August it's really fucking good and when we screen it in New York I'll send you the screener for you come and check it out I think you'll dig it
0: dope 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 do you have a copy of, of your book handy you can hold it up and yeah, show them
1: sure let me go grab I keep
0: what it looked like what it looked like
1: Here is my book
0: when son you're the on city. the mic son of the city that is my book
1: looking my like man, a blue Note record
0: dante ross son of the city yeah. hang on turn it to the side let me see how thick that motherfucker is not that okay. thick three,
1: three, 330 okay. pages okay it's, it's long enough um okay. and like i like i said to you when i seen you i remember at the day last like and this is nothing. Me and Jay were on stage at the Lot thing. It's, it's a, oh, it's a for it was, Dave.
0: Yeah, rest in peace, Dave, man. In,
1: and it was it, rest in peace, Dave. And it was spiritual, right? Felt like a it spiritual moment.
0: Yes, it was. I, I felt better than than uh, like a, a funeral. You know what I mean? Like it just Way felt better. like like this is what hip hop is supposed to kind of how you're supposed to do it if somebody passed. Like this felt right. That shit it was like a
1: celebration.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, You know, totally and, right.
1: and you're you were right there and fucking Latifa's right here and, and passing are on the mic and large froze there and all the comments, all these people are there. And and I remember you were asking about the book and I said, yo, man, you know, like the book is my book, but it's your book. Because without you guys, I can't write the book. You guys are a centerpiece in the book, as are all the artists. And if I don't have the experience of working with you. My book is 83 pages and no one wants to read it. So as much as this is a book I wrote, it's your book too, because it's part of your history is in it because our histories are very combined.
0: Absolutely. 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 So
1: my man, always great to talk to you and to see you in the flesh. Um, And I hope to see you in New York when we do the screening for the flip.
0: Definitely. Let's uh, let's talk about that. Opportunity said so you might have.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hit me offline. I got you. You got my math. So hit yeah. me and, and let's let's chop it up. We'll figure it out. If there's something to do, let's get it done.
0: Absolutely. All right. Yo. My man. Everybody, Dante Ross, son of the city. Go get that. Yes. Hip hop history. Thank you. Look. Yes. All right, y'all. Hold up. Let me see. My shit moving slow today.
1: There we go. Oh, I was going to say, why does it say James Anderson?
0: Okay. All right. We did that damn thing, y'all. Appreciate y'all coming through. Hope y'all got some good information. Thank you for people that donated heck nine Dwayne Rhodes appreciate y'all I will be back next week um listen if you're on the east coast and all that man I guess stay inside right now man The, the air quality is retarded outside so you know stay safe don't be out there breathing that mess we don't know how they trying to poison the people right now? We don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, yeah. So just uh, do what you got to do to protect yourself. Appreciate y'all. Once again, shout out to my guest, Dante Ross. Go get his book, Son of the City, out now. And I uh, appreciate everybody for coming through. Make sure you click that like button before you leave. Once again, for the, for the Godcast, I am Lord Jamal. And I'm going to say peace.